Hey everyone, it's Michael. Before we get started, want to remind you all to subscribe, like, and follow at Goalkeeper Podcast on all social medias, including YouTube, where fully edited vodcasts are housed with exclusive clips. Remember, the more followers we get, the more we can give back to the goalkeeping community. Let's all keep paying that knowledge forward and on with the show. Welcome to Inside the 18. I'm Michael Majid, live from Hollywood, California. With me, you know him as the number one virtual screen troll on the internet, the one and only Omar <laughs> Zini, Pro GK Academy. Omar, dude, uh, you got to share with the audience before we got on air here what uh, what you just did to, to JT. As I Well, I guess I just gave away the guest here. <laughs> yeah, well, normally normally we do is um, I show up right on time or like a minute late, but I, it's, it arrives fashionably late. So I always bring something to the table that's going to at least make you guys happy that I was a second or two late. So I normally, you know, respect the guests and respect everybody who's coming on and, and do something that's going to be in the theme of where they're playing, where they're coaching. But since I'm a through and through Galaxy fan, through thick and through thin, and we're going through a lot of thick right now, uh, I will say that uh, I'm upset that JT plays for San Jose, and, and I wanted to show him a little bit of love, but a little bit of banter too, because I know I know he likes that. So I threw my Galaxy banner up, didn't get the reaction that I wanted. He was too, he was kind of like, all right, cool, dog, cool, whatever. And then I threw my Galaxy one out, my, my San Jose one on. So there, I, there it is. <laughs> well, well uh, Omar just gave it away right there. Our, our guest today uh, he is uh, JT Marcinkowski, uh, goalkeeper for the San Jose Earthquakes. I love the fact that I can say goalkeeper for the San Jose Earthquakes now, man. Um, pretty, pretty, pretty awesome, man. I know, I know, obviously, you spent a good amount of time in Reno um, after he signed as a homegrown after Georgetown and everything like that. And it's, uh, you know, it's been, a, it's been a steady climb and you've been progressing, you know, really solidly there, man. And, uh, you know, we've just been happy with the, with the results that have been happening for you, man, because uh, for those of you guys who might not be familiar, you know, JT's just a really awesome dude. We got to get to know you at MLS all-star, you know, when you were involved in that homegrown game a couple of years ago. And uh, dude, honestly, man, I just, it, it, we really love seeing when young guys, you know, are putting in the work and, and they start getting, uh, you know, their uh, recognition. No, yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Um, it's always a super fun chat with you guys. And like Omar saying, a little bit of banter uh, started <laughs> off hot, but no, we're good. And um, no, I think like Mike was saying, and the homegrown game, I think it was last year in Orlando. It was, it was really fun catching up. And I think you guys are on a great, great channel, great podcast. And um, it's really insightful and it's pretty cool to be on. So, so let's uh, let, let's talk a little bit about kind of what's what's been happening with you since uh, since we last saw each other all, all in person, all like seventeen years ago. It feels like now, uh, with uh, with the way the the world is and everything like that. But uh, why don't you kind of just catch up, everybody? What what happened? You know, you obviously you, you spent a little bit of time in Reno, um, then you know got gotten to some camps for for the for the U.S. with the with the twenty threes, get trying to get ready for that Olympic uh, qualifying, which uh, which was put on hold, obviously, and then uh, and now now. Uh, now being a first teamer this year. Yeah, no, it's been like you're saying, it's been a little bit of a, obviously this year has been so, so strange, but start off the year, uh, played one game with Reno and we were up in Tacoma. And then the next day flew down to Mexico for the qualifiers, for the Olympics. And so we were down there for about six days uh, in Guadalajara. And I think it was like a Thursday morning. So it was like right after everything happened with, I think the NBA. So the NBA canceled a few games the next morning. 
uh, we were like on about to leave for training and then coordinator came in with like, well, we were on a flight home that next day and um, kind of didn't go in the facility again until late May, I think. And so from very beginning of March until end of May, maybe like first week of June, just completely on our own. Um, so a lot of working out on our own. Uh, we had like a little bit of a garage gym set up. So that was, that was interesting. There was like a local park that we would go to and uh, my roommates and I would go and like go and kick around and try to stay fit the best we could. And then got ready for Orlando, went down to Orlando on like June 24th. And we were there for about six, six and a half weeks, uh, played pretty well there, came home and had a bit of a rough stretch kind of the first month or so in the past month has been much better. I think we've kind of found our rhythm and the team has been looking great and hopefully we can finish the season on high and um, make our way into the playoffs. I mean, dude, you know, the, the craziest thing is like, you know, when you were just talking about like you being in Guadalajara and you guys are ready to go out there for, uh, for, for the qualifiers. And they're like, yeah, guys, you're, uh, you're not going out there, uh, at all. In fact, uh, you're going, you're going back. I mean, uh, Omar, what were you doing when, uh, when, when the quarantine hit like that? Were you, uh, were you also in Mexico, uh, getting ready to pay and <laughs> playing a CONCACAF qualifier? No, no, I wish. I mean, that, that'd be ideal. I probably was doing a qualifier for in FIFA. So I was probably doing my little setup here in my career mode. Um, and that's close as I got to CONCACAF Champions League. But um, And I was playing with Galaxy, which I don't know you guys know, just for the record. Um, <laughs> but no, real quick, I want to tell a story about last year, Mike. Remember when we, we saw JT at, in Orlando? And yeah. JT, I never actually posted about it. But for everyone listening, like it to me, it was just like a, a really great perception and the epitome of what goalkeeping is, the highs and the lows. And I think it was in that, uh, that generation Adidas. I, I'd probably way back then. But it was the home the home yeah. And yeah. I know you guys split, three of you guys, you guys split 30 minutes, 30 minutes, and then you, I think you got the last 30, right? Yeah. And I remember I was literally sitting right behind the goal, and I think you got a pass back. I think you gave a bad pass away. They countered you right away, and they scored. And, again, there was a lot of people there, too. Like, it wasn't just – it was, you know, I think it was on TV as well. So there's a lot of people, and you're, you're still relatively young, and obviously you want to make a, uh, a name for yourself and all that. You can see this goal. And it looks for me, I was like, oh, man, poor guy, such a nice guy. And, you know, I don't want this to be something that people look at it. And his reputation is this, that, and the third. And then with like a minute left, you guys score. It's like 93rd minute, I think it was. You guys end up scoring. You guys tie it up 1-1. And then you go to PK. So in my head, I'm like, oh, he's back. His, like, you know, his name is clear now. Let's see what he does. Let's see where his mind is at. Can he continue the, the good name that he's already created for himself? And like that was just like a little blemish. And you went into the PK shootout. You saved two PKs. And I think you guys ended up winning that. And then all your teammates went and celebrated with you. And, I mean, I got Mike and I got a front row seat to that. And it was, like, a really good for me. Like, the epitome of what goalkeeping is, the highs and the lows. And I don't know if you remember – obviously, uh, you remember what happened. But can you kind of share to us, like, what was your thought process? Like, after you conceded that goal within, like, 20 minutes and then you were, like, the scapegoat for the loss and now you're the hero for the win. So how was that for you? Yeah, I mean, I think you explained it pretty well. I think so. I came in the last 30 minutes and it was like a back pass that I got, took a touch my left, and I think I was just trying to clear it, like a misclearance. Um, I don't remember who we were playing. We were playing Chivas. He, yeah, I think it was Chivas. Uh, yeah. Chivas, okay. Yeah, they, they played it out wide, cross in, went to cut it out, hit my defender, then hit me, then like went in or something. It was, it was weird. So I was pissed and kind of. I was disappointed because I know I should have done better. Um, 
first of all with the ball and then with cutting the ball out. Um, So I was just like, I hope to get another chance and just kind of wanted to stay mentally in at the last 15 minutes. Fortunately, uh, we scored. And then, yeah, with PKs, I always, I mean, ever since I was really young, I've always kind of took the mentality of PKs that like keepers have nothing to lose. Um, Like we're not supposed to save it. You know, I think it's your team wants you to get one or two um, just to make sure that you stay in it. Um, but at the end of the day, it's it's all to the attackers. Um, and I think the first PK that was against me was their other keeper. And I think he blasted it over. And I was like, <laughs> okay, well, after that, all right, you feel you feel a little better, right? The second one came up, uh, guessed the right way, and it was like to my left. And then so we were up like 2-0 two, two already. Third one, it was to my right. wasn't the best PK, but saved it. And then I think we – we scored the next one. So we won three zero and um, obviously it was really cool to, to win that PK shootout, but um, still a little pissed about the goal. And <laughs> I mean, that's goalkeeping, you know, you always yeah. try to try to keep yourself as, as equal as possible in that same line. And um, it's a roller coaster position, but um, you kind of just have to have to get through it mentally and you're going to make mistakes, but it's kind of how you respond. Yeah. yeah and, no. and, uh, sorry, Mike, one last point about that. I think yeah. we, we talked about this, I think, on the podcast uh, with one of the guests. We were talking about how a lot of the games that a goalkeeper makes a mistake in, but they win. No one ever remembers the mistake, but the only person that does is the goalkeeper, and it sticks with yeah. them. And it seemed like you, you were able to, like, relive that moment. And I didn't want to make you relive it. But, I mean, if you played for the Galaxy, I wouldn't have made you do that. But because you played for San Jose, <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted you to relive it. But, but no, I think it, and we talk about it too, Mike. We talk about the Champions League final. I think it was Atletico versus uh, Real Madrid 2013, I would say. And in or 2014, maybe. And in that game, Casillas comes out for a ball. They header it over his head. And he looks like, again, kind of a washed up old guy. And everyone's saying, you know, Casillas shouldn't be the number one for Madrid. All this stuff came to a head. And they tie it up, 93rd minute, Ramos scores that header. They go to overtime, they went 4-1. And no one really ever talks about Casillas' mistake. I mean, most people talk about just, you know, Bale scoring, Ronaldo scoring, and then the, the 94th minute goal. And no one ever talks about the mistake. So it's like, it's, it's just, those are like the ones you kind of wish for. If you make a mistake and you still win, so that no one remembers it, but at least now you can internalize it and hopefully be able to, uh, you know, become better because of it. Right. You know, one, one thing I actually want to bring up about that, it's really funny that you bring up the, those PK saves because honestly, JT, one of the things that really impressed me about that those PK saves is we're, we're going to talk about the topic today, which is micro movements and, and body shift. And like you were so smooth with your movement on PKs. You know, so many goalkeepers are either it's grandiose movement one way and then they get they, they get nailed the other direction, you know, or it's very, very jittery types movements or whatever. You're, you're just so smooth in your, in your shift. And we were talking about earlier, obviously, in regards to Allison Becker and Jan Oblak and, and, and guys like, like that, you know, who are just efficient with their movement. So kind of delving kind of into this topic right here, like what do we mean kind of by like a micro movement in your, in your mind? Yeah, I think for me, I think goalkeeping is so much like the little things. Um, it's not like a huge step that's going to make help make you like help you make the save. It's like the two or three short movements then to make make sure you're on the like, in the right position. Um, because so many times I feel like people are out. And I catch myself doing this a lot as well. Like you're out of position, and then you make the save. And you're like, oh, that was look at that. It was top hand. It was perfect. But then like you replay it, and you're like, wait, I was just out of position. If I was three inches more to the left, I could probably catch that ball or make it clean. Um, and I think it's just so much of making sure your angles are right, making sure that you're 
you're cutting on the angle, you're giving space, uh, your crosses, your body position. Um, there's so, there's so many things that little tiny details that go into it that make the saves so much easier than they like need to be, or so much harder if you don't do them. Yeah. No. And, and I think, you know, that's one of the things that like, Omar, you're really big on this when you're breaking down your videos. And yes, we're going to give a shout out to your, to your breakdown videos. So you, I think you posted <laughs> another, another one this morning is that you, you make sure that people, you, you little highlight, you do those little arrows and, and highlight these little tiny movements, because I think a lot of times, just a lot of kids just miss those, you know, when they're watching the final action and they're watching a highlight, they see the final full movement, but they don't realize that little shift, that little body weight shift or that slight adjustment that led to that final action. A hundred percent. And I think, I mean, myself included sometimes, even as a young coach, I mean, not even while I was playing, but as a young coach, I would overlook that stuff. And you think about the recovery save or they're getting back up after they give up a rebound and it's turning into this highlight. You can't, you can kind of get caught up in that. You kind of get stuck in that narrative of, you know, sublime save oh my god this guy's the best but then you actually you know take a step back and you you peel back the curtain a little bit you start realizing that guys like casillas who are a little bit on the shorter end the reason why they're so good is because they're able to shift their feet and get to their spot and those quick little movements get them into a position whether it was the final save or the position to make that final save and people don't see that until you actually slow down and break it down and i feel like when you look at those kind of guys and you realize why they're uh, why they are so successful you watch more and more highlights, like adding them up, adding them up, and you start noticing a theme and a trend. You can always say a goalkeeper made one good save, but then you actually like look even further and you start realizing, oh my God, no, 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 this is not just a luck. This is actual an actual skill. That's why we see guys like Buffon playing until they're 40 years old because he's been able to fine tune those little micro adjustments, those little micro movements to get himself into the best position possible to use the athleticism that he still has left in that tank. And then imagine him like being that smart that he is now, using that while he still had athleticism. That's why he's one of the best that ever played. Yeah. So basically, what what Omar's saying right there, JT, is you got to play till you're about 40 years old. That's uh, that, <laughs> hey, that's I'm all in for that. Yeah, sounds good to me. <laughs> no, but that's what we talk about, Mike. I mean, I think this is where you know we can kind of shift the the question leads to why are goalkeepers, specifically goalkeepers, why are they so much better as they age? Why is it? Right. And I think that has a lot to do with the free movements, how you read the game, your comprehension of the game and how you see it. And then again, talking about not just our own trends and our own patterns and our technique and all that, but the game's patterns and the game's technique. That's why it's so important to have the technique, the patterns of, of the opposing team and understanding what the strikers, I guess, tendencies are and what they're going to try and do to get yourself into that best position. Like Lukaku is probably not going to shoot more like more from not going to shoot with his, uh, his left, uh, his right foot, excuse me coming down the left side, he'll probably cut into his right and then cut back to his left, his more favored left. So our position is we're not going to overreact when he cuts into the right side on his right foot because most likely he may not shoot it. So you're almost just like calculating, 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 and then he cuts back to his left and you didn't lose position because you were already waiting for him to come this way. So I think, again, it's the, the watching the film and the IQ so that those movements aren't wasted movements, but calculated ones. But, you know, and by the way, you know, I think you, you brought up a really good point, Omar, in, in regards to that, because I got we're going to see a clip in, in, in a few mi minutes here in regards to a situation where it was, I think it was Roldan to Roldan and Sounders against you guys. And uh, what happened? Christian Roldan slipped on a banana peel or something like that. Like what what happened in that situation, JT? I think uh, I think, you know, the play I'm talking about where we're, we're going to watch it. And then all of a sudden the ball, that's the weirdest dummy I've ever seen, by the way. I've never seen a guy just like flop to the ground to uh, to, to make a dummy. But um. But no, I, th I think you're 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 right, Omar and JT. I'm sure you can attest to this. Is like you know, if you're if you judge a play and and you make an assumption 
well, more often than not, a play's not going to go the way you expected it to go anyway, right? Yeah, no, I think it's true. But I also think there's a, like Omar was saying about these older keepers and just experience. It doesn't necessarily have to be age, but the more games you play, the more situations that you're in. Um, and I think young keepers, I, feel, I think there's a very fine line between anticipation and guessing. Mm-hmm. I think you can anticipate shots really well. And I think the older that you get and the, the more situations that you're in, the, the trends that you see are, you know what's going to happen before it happens. And I think that's a lot different than just guessing it to a side. So I think, for example, if, like Omar was saying, let's say Lukaku cuts in and you know that he tends to curl it with his left foot to the back post. You can start to cheat maybe two or three inches to, the, to that side and then tip it around the post because you've seen it so many times, so many times, so many times, and then just assuming he's just going to kick it to the far post. So I think that's a very fine line of kind of that experience and in, in situations that happen in training, that happen yeah. in the games, that the more that you grow and the more that more situations that you put yourself in like that, the better they're going to be. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's um, so, like one of the guys, one of the words that I use is um, calculated anticipation, right? It's just that we talked about it right there. You just used it a good, good definition is not leaving yourself too vulnerable and susceptible for that near post one. Because we've seen a lot of times, let's say, again, we use Lukaku, Messi, whoever it is who's left footed. They come down that right side, they cut inside and your defender sticks their leg up. And then again, Messi's watching us and realizing, OK, well, right. JT likes to cheat a little bit. And that's why he's made a lot of great saves to that far post all right, you know what? I'll bait him and I'll cut a little bit. I'll show that I'm probably going to go far post. I'll start angling my body for that. But again, I'm going to try and put it right back across here where I can get him catching cheating a little bit. And I think one thing that I tell my goalkeepers all the time is I'm okay with you not taking risks, but take calculated risks, right? So if you're going to get scored on like that, don't make it so obvious, but really, really start playing chess with the striker. And I think that is where you allow yourself to really play instinctually, but with as much as much of an educated guess as you possibly can. So that at least when we if we do get scored on or we do make a save, we know exactly where to trace back and figure out why we made the save, what technical and tactical decision that we did that led up to that save. At the same time, too, OK, we got we, we got scored on, we conceded. What technical and tactical decision could I fine tune and refine so that I don't get beat or I don't get uh, you know put back across my body? I think it's super important. It's a work in progress. And I think JT's made a really good point is that through experiences, through goals, through goals conceded, through, you know, saves, you figure out those things and you fine tune, but you have to be, you have to be very, uh, you, have to be, you have to be paying attention to it. I think a lot of goalkeepers, young goalkeepers just go through the motion sometimes in training and just go, okay, and I'm going to session, blah, blah, blah. They don't really think about it. But when you actually start thinking about stuff, that's when you start making strides. Uh, uh, that, that, that's a, I mean, that's a great point right there, Omar. And I, JT, I want to bring up, I want to bring up this rolled on basically. Cause I think the whole audience who was listening to this earlier, were probably like, dude, we need to see what you were talking about right here. So maybe, maybe walk us through this play, this play right here. Cause I, I think it's a really good example in regards to what you were talking about. Um, anticipating movement, but yet not, not biting on it and then being able to react at that, at that last minute right here. Um, so obviously here's the ball. Yeah. Here's the weird play. I mean, if that's a dummy, that's awesome. I've never seen that before. Then across and then here. See, it's just a slight, it's a slight adjustment by your body, which I love. Like, you know, you don't, you don't fly across to the back post. It's just a slight adjustment so they can get just enough of a touch to redirect that ball. And then obviously the recovery movement right there is solid. You know, walk us through this kind of right here. Yeah. So I think when I think Christian, when he's coming down the wing, um, I right there, I see 
that Jordan's coming in. Um, and I kind of tell our, I think it's Nick Lima, our right back, that he was coming in there. Um, and I actually didn't see Nico Lodero. He was the one who went, ended up getting on the ball. Um, but yeah, I think once it, once it gets past Jordan and Nick right here, um, I tried to set and I saw I was getting passed to go to the next spot. And then as soon as Nico's on the ball, I just try to set as quick as I can to then give myself at least a chance there um, yeah. to make a save. But yeah, and, I mean, hit it back to the, like back across his body, like we were just talking about and uh, didn't, didn't hit it totally clean, but kind of got, got fortunate on that aspect. And when the shot came in, I, I think it was too far for me to catch it. So I was just trying to tip it kind of out of danger and made, make sure that I didn't hit it back into the middle here. Yeah. Fortunately, it kind of went out for a corner, I think. So by the, by the way, is that the only way that you can stop Jordan Morris from running is just uh, by just, <laughs> I think there to be honest, Lima didn't he, make contact with him, right? He just slipped. Yeah, no, I think Jordan slipped into Nick. Um, oh, okay. Cause, cause those two, those two are uh, some of the paciest people in the league. That's for sure. Yeah. Dude, I, I mean, I absolutely love this right there. By the way, and the players that we're talking about here, you know, Nicholas Ladero and stuff like that. I mean, you know, you know, even a bad hit by a Nicholas Ladero is still, still a pretty clean hit by <laughs> most people, you know. So, Omar, anything you want to add to this this play right here? Um, no, I think it's a, a I mean, it was a great save, but I think he did a really good job. JT did a really good job of. Going again, we talk about progressions, Mike. So two things. One, the progressions. He went through, he respected the first shot. Then after that first shot went through, he went all the way across to his post. And then once he got to that post, you could see Sut, like he got his feet into the ground, which allows him now to attack those lateral lines. And we talked about it uh, with, uh, I think it was Cisniega against uh, Portland, or I forget who it was, but he kept progressing his set forward and never actually got set. And if we actually saw Navas this past week too, against Man U, the goal against Rashford, He's coming forward towards the ball and never got his feet set. So that as the shot came, he never, um, but yeah, he never got, he never got his feet set. So he didn't have an opportunity to step and push. And I think JT did a really good job of quickly adjusting and then got his feet set. And I, I feel like you didn't, you, you didn't bite off more than you could chew. You took as much uh, ground as you could take. And once you got that movement in, then you were like, okay, I'm cool here. And then now you're able to attack those lines because you got that, that prep set in. Yeah, you and this is this is a good example in regards to micro movements as opposed to trying to gain too much ground. You 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 basically played it conservative. You're like, you know, I'm better off setting right here and being able to get some movement rather than trying to gain ground and cover a little more angle. Yeah, for sure. And I think I mean as you're replaying that, I think I hopped a little bit too high on that one. My set position was a little bit because I can see when he's about a sh the ball's in the air and I'm still I'm still in the air. But yeah. That's definitely one of those things I'm trying to work on and make sure that because if he hits it a little bit, a little bit cleaner, I think my steps might be a little too late. But um, fortunately, fortunately, didn't go in. So, yeah, yeah. If, if it had gone in, it wouldn't been it wouldn't have been played on this show. I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll, tell, I'll tell you that right now. We're not going to be doing that to you yeah. right there. Um, it's all right, I can take it. <laughs> no, I, I, it's fu it's funny that you say that, though, JT, because you know it always seems like whenever we get guests on the show, they're the most critical about their plays. And, and I think, you know, as a pro, I think you, you represent that, that like, if you want to get to that next level, that next echelon, that U.S. national team level, that, that starting, you know, all-star goalkeeper in the league level, you have to be critical of every single play, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, but I think there's a fine line because I think if you're too hard on yourself, then you never get the chance to kind of 
to allow yourself to be successful. Because um, if you're always just harping on yourself and not not allowing yourself to be like, okay, that was a that was a good save, then it kind of gets monotonous and it, you get too far down in the dumps. Um, but then you also can't be too high on yourself where every save you make, you're like, oh, that's perfect. I don't need to change anything. Um, so I think there's a fine balance of of allowing yourself to to recognize that you made a good save and you can get better here and there and also allowing yourself to, okay, I made a mistake, but why it's not the end of the world. It's okay. I cha- just need to change one thing or I need to change two things. Um, like for example, when we played Portland three games ago, like made a really bad mistake, um, just coming out for an easy ball, let slip away. They scored two nil game was kind of over. And it's like, okay, then how do I respond from that? And how do I make sure that, you know, take the information for what it is, learn from it and then move on. Yeah, you know, yeah, it was um, pour, it was pouring rain though, torrential rain. I will say that. Okay, now, will, not I, much, not much of an excuse. Not much of an excuse. <laughs> I know. Ah, uh, dude, I would, I would have used that excuse. Are you kidding me? I would have been like, it's like, dude, have you been up there? Do you know how much, how much rain they have? Condition? No, no one should uh, have to play in that. Um, I, I do want to bring this up, and uh, you know, one of the things that that comes up a lot of times is is kids think that they have to move. They have to move. They have to move, JT, right? Can't, can't a body shift just be just as efficient as a movement of the feet? You don't necessarily have to, like, do anything to be in the right position. Like, if you feel like you're in the right position or if you feel like the, the striker is about to shoot, then just stop. Because the, the, the more steps that you take, the more out of position you're going to be. Even if, like, during the leads... Whoever leads Wolves game this past week, it was right towards the, right at the end of the first half, and um, Wolves were on a counterattack. They cut it back, and the the lead keeper just stopped, and he just set, and he was totally out of position. But since he set, the, the ball came right to him, and he made a really good save. But if he were to try to make his way farther across the goal and be in the right position, then it, it would have went in. So it's funny if whenever the striker just is about to shoot, you have to set even if you might feel like you're out of position. And I think that that's a great example of, of less is more sometimes. No. Yeah, we talk about it. We, we talk about a micro crossing uh, a lot of times. Sometimes no movement is the best movement. And I think that is when it comes into to play as well for, for, for goalkeeping is on angles, cutbacks, whatever it is. You need to know what your strengths are and then play those movements and make those movements happen to really solidify and allow those strengths to come to the forefront. And I think we talk about Melier, the guy's six foot six, I think he is, for, for, uh, for Leeds. Big, big guy. So for him, he probably says, you know what? I don't have to move as much as somebody who may be at, at six feet because I could cover going back across myself. At the same time, I can cover because I'm so damn tall. I don't have to take that step. I can literally just fall and I have my reach covering there. So I think young goalkeepers that are listening, even you know goalkeeper coaches, myself included, is let the goalkeepers you know, find the best positioning for themselves. And like I've, I've sometimes overcoached it where I said, hey, on my shot right there, you made the save, but you were really close to your near post. But in my head, I'm like, now that I'm saying it, I'm like, oh my God, but what if they already know that they're so much better stepping off their left foot, diving to that top corner because they love using their top hand. At the same time too, if I hit it back near post, they're close enough where they can get their right hand back down. Right hand down here, right hand up here. That's their, that's their strong suit. So for me, it's like, okay, damn. I think they've been able to now show me that they know what to do to have their their strengths come to the forefront and be able to use that. So I think that's sometimes too where we, we can kind of overcoach the positioning when some goalkeepers have been able to manipulate their positioning to really allow their strengths to you know work for them. 
Yeah, you know, I, I want to bring this up right here because, uh, you know, you, you, you were bringing up corners right here. I, I want to bring up this clip right here, JT, and, and if you can walk us through this. Mike, right you're the here. king of the transition, man, I swear. Well, you are you are very, very good. Well, you know, you know, it's really, you know, you know it's funny, by the way. So, so JT, so uh, so I've, I've taken my comedy show online now because of the way the world is now. And uh, so I sent Omar a clip of it. And he's like, this just sounds like inside the 18. He's like, this just doesn't sound any different. He's like, I'm sorry. The voice just sounds exactly the same. It just sounds like you're doing the same thing, just not talking about soccer. Um, so, uh, but, but I want to bring this up right here. Uh, can everybody see this, this clip right here? This is, um, I think, in the 24th minute. And you were just talking about just not doing anything, right, JT? Uh, yeah. So this is, this is a ball. I think it's a header by Rose. And, yes, you shift across here. Boom. But you're just you don't really do much. I mean, you're just in the position. You don't try to make a meal out of this and you just get that, that outside handout and just get the cover. And that's a great save right here. So let's just try to play it in real time. So everyone can kind of see, see it. Look at that focus shift touch simple. And again, people say, Oh, that's an incredible save, but you, you see how efficient that is, right? Yeah. And I think, I mean, I even, what we're saying, I kind of, I kind of did take a step forward uh, right away um there but um it was a good ball and a good run they they did a good job picking our defender um to make sure he gets free but i think it's just a it's one of those things where it was a good kind of perfect height for me and it was kind of quick reaction and fortunately could tip it over but uh, we played them we played them on saturday so we got to make sure that that doesn't happen again <laughs> I, I hope I hope they're not watching right now and hearing like what you're talking about. They're just, it's like Dad said. Actually, the Whitecaps—they were actually listening to the podcast and uh, yeah. guys scouting report on JT here. Is he's going to stay big, big in this situation? Um, we but, talked about this though, right? Right, Omar? Yeah, yeah. No, and I actually have a question for you, JT. I was talking to somebody doing uh, doing like my off series, off season series filming, and we we're doing you know we were doing crosses, and one of the guys brought up that his goalkeeper coach mentioned to him that when the ball's in the air, if you have an idea that it's probably going to, oh my God, sorry, I'm getting like the You're most so balls popular, I've ever gotten. <laughs> no, it's my dad. Uh, okay. But uh, no, but I, I, so he mentioned that his goalkeeper coach said, when the ball gets served in the air, don't even worry about it hitting heads. If it's going to go to like a certain height, don't even worry about hitting heads. Have an idea of where that ball is going to fall and just take your body there. It's like, he's like, my coach told me to get to my spot early. And I was like, well, I could see that. But you just never – I mean, again, scouting report. If you know a guy's going to jump through the roof, you're probably not going to go. You know, you're know, you not going to cheat that much. But for you, do you feel like you go through those progressions or have there been times where you kind of just say, you know what, I know where this ball's going. I'm taking my feet, and I got I to to get there. I got to get this major movement out of the way. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's an interesting point, and it's something that I need to continue to work on in my game is, is crosses and continuing to be confident and, and come out for more of them, I would say. Um, but it's something I think that's just you get comfortable, more comfortable over time with. Um, but with, I mean, with the pace that these guys are whipping the balls and, and the runs as well, it, it's tough just to, just to try to get to a spot when there's, when there's guys running in. And, and like you were saying, I mean, you're playing against guys who are very good in the air, big dudes and they're physical. And um, so, so much of, it, I think is, is situational. It's hard to make like a blanket blanket rule. Um, but for me personally, I just try to, I mean, if it's, if it's anywhere around the six, I, I try to go out and get it. Um, but also it's, it's being a bit conservative and letting my defenders defend sometimes as well. Yeah. 
No, no, no. Um, I think, JT, the point he was trying to make is that not so much to come for the ball, but it was more so getting across and getting set. Like we kind of saw right now with the, the Ladero shot, right? That went all the way across. You went through the progression of, because it was on the ground, right? You had to respect that first shot that was at the PK spot. And when Rodan missed that ball and he got to the far post, then you kind of slowed yourself down and then you made that little extra extra push and an extra movement to get to that far post. And when it, you know, we're talking about crossing, he, his point was when that ball is being served in and you have an idea that it's going to miss some people and you know that most likely instead of going through those progressions, the, the, the IQ is telling you, I just need to get from point A on my near post all the way to my far post to give myself a chance to get set and then push. Do you feel like, I mean, again, that's, is that IQ? Is that, you know, experience is, what do you think that is? Yeah, no, I think that's, that's 100% just like reading the game. Um, it's, it's taking pictures before the cross even happens to see where the runs are. And then mm -hmm. if you know that nobody's at the back post and you know that it's, it's going to go right through, it's all right, time to get on your horse and get, make those few two or three cross steps to get to the back post and set early. Um, but that, that comes from seeing thousands of crosses, seeing a lot of corners in game situations and, and knowing where the runs are. Um, my goalkeeper coach makes it a very strong point of, of always checking where the guys are on the box before the cross comes in. Um, he was like, you can't just focus on the ball because there's so much more that's happening than just the ball coming in. Um, you have to know where the guys are. You have to make sure that our guys are marking them, uh, make sure they're in the right spots. They're whatever. Whatever it may be, um, yeah. But you have to be have to be more aware than just the ball. That's a sorry, Mike. One one last point. I don't know. I don't keep. No, it's all here, good. But, uh, it's all it's all good. I was uh. I, was I thought that was. Go ahead. Sorry, I, I thought that was a hell of a point, though. I think that's that's super important, and I think again, um, just talking to someone who's continuously seeing it and doing it, those micro movements are a product of the the micro pictures that you're taking as well. And I think, again, we, we only saw one clip here, so I'm pretty sure that uh, whoever's watching, as long as you guys can refer back to the clip we're talking about, that far <laughs> post shot, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think, JT, what you saw is, again, a situation where, okay, I got a runner coming in, I got a runner at the far post. Do you want me to pull that, that back up? Uh, Yeah, sure, go ahead. Okay, all right, but, all right, all right, all right. But while I, yeah, ahead. so while I said, is that, is that whether it was a counterattack, I don't know how the whole play developed, but whether it's a counterattack in situations, you start realizing, okay, I've seen this picture before and our triggers as goalkeepers is to, yeah, see, look, look at your hand, right? Your hand is pointing to that far post. You already have an idea that it's visual verbal, right? You give that visual cue, uh, that verbal cue, and then that visual cue of, look, I need someone covering here as well. I think, again, it's those micro pictures that you're taking prior and the scanning of the field. So now you're able to understand, okay, if this ball doesn't get to this guy and he misses it, I know for a fact because of what I saw earlier and the little pictures that I took, this ball is going to go to the far post because I got a runner. And then that, again, it's an educated decision. You already know for, for a fact that that ball could potentially be shot at the far post. So that movement is that much more precise and that much more calculated. So I think, again, like you said, the ability to really enhance your vision and not just be tunnel vision and just see the, what's happening in front of you, but rather the scoping the entire play out three, four seconds prior. And I think that we talk about it too, is like we do a lot of in possession, out of possession stuff, right? Your team is in possession. You're stepping up to build, to build the play. And now as you're recovering, can we backpedal, see the ball, but also allow our mind and our body, or excuse me, our shoulders and our eyes to shift over here, take a quick picture, come back here, take a quick picture, come back here. I think, again, that's kind of the idea that uh, what I'm trying to get at, a little wordy here, but essentially what I'm trying to say is exactly what you just said is it's all, you take it's all those good. images 
<laughs> take those micro images, but at the same time too, that is gonna help you make the final save because you know where those runs are coming from and you know where your footwork needs to go once the progressions are taken care of. It, it, yeah. It, it, it's all good. <laughs> end oh, scene, oh, end scene. End scene. <laughs> you gotta take a you gotta take a bow, Sir Patrick you, Stewart, baby. right there. Thank you guys. Uh, so <laughs> if you guys want to see uh Omar in Hamlet on the West End, uh <laughs> It'll be a no, no, no. I, I wanted to bring this up because Dallas Jay was talking about this, um, which I, I'd never heard before. JT is he says that when he decides that he's not going to when he when he starts approaching a ball and realizes he's not going to get there and he and he retreats and drops and drops line that he actually takes his eye off the flight of the ball and does a check of the runners instead. Is that something that you've ever heard before or, you know, been taught before or anything like that? Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Dallas does that because he's he's one heck of a keeper and he's super smart um he's very like cerebral the way he plays um but i think it's everyone kind of has their own little niche and they kind of do things a little bit differently that's why i think goalkeeping so such a cool position because there's so many ways to to kind of do it and not every way is right not every way is wrong but sometimes people just do things differently um so i don't know if i would say it's something that I would think about like in the game, like during a flight of ball to, to be conscious of making sure I look right away or real quick. But I think it's something that is important. And um, it's something, even if you don't do it, maybe when the ball is in the air, you have to know before, before the ball is even kicked. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up that way right there because my concern is like people, kids would hear like what Dallas said and then like, they'll just go into games and it's like, like uh, that, that ball's going outside the six and they'll just stop looking at the ball and they just start looking around right. everywhere, everywhere. And then they're like, well, I just heard a pro does that. Like, I thought that's what you do. <laughs> like, cause kids are so literal. And that, that's another thing I wanted to talk to you about JT is because kids are so literal. Like you say, micro movement or you say you know taking a big step or whatever they take that as literal as possible like micro movement okay cool like i'll move like that you know it's like no i, I didn't mean like tiny i meant like you know a smaller adjustment or if like i say take a big step like they'll they they extend all the way across and stuff so how do how do we work with youth keepers so that like they understand like what we mean by that and what you as pros are doing in that situation yeah, I mean, I think the, the biggest thing for me, and I still do all the time, is allowing yourself to make mistakes in training. Like, allowing yourself, okay, if you overcorrect sometimes, like realizing that you did that, realizing you took too big of a step or too big of a hop, and then being aware the next time, okay, let's not do that, and allowing yourself to do something different. And then once you find something that works, like, for example, I know like Hugo Lloris, like on crosses, he always retreats back to his line really deep and then works from there because he's so quick. But sometimes that doesn't work for someone else. But like at least you should try it. Like allow yourself to make mistakes and allow yourself not just to to try to make every save in training because then it's like, okay, then you're not getting, you're not getting better. Like sometimes the best way to to learn is to fail and then learn from that. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you brought up the mistake aspect right there and, and also trying about that because, Omar, I know you've been big about that. It's like, you know, you're not going to know how big a movement you need to make or how small a movement you need to make until you are until you start getting comfortable in those situations and going through those scenarios and going through those reps is going to teach you what your profile, what your body profile works with. Yeah, I think, uh, like JT just said, it's it's one thing to look at a goalkeeper that, is similar to your size 
But at the same time, too, it's like what strengths do those goalkeepers have and what strengths do I have as well that I could potentially, like you said, not being so literal, but like what could, what could I potentially take from them and why are they, why is Lloris dropping off to his line? And then, you, like you said, you realize, oh, wow, okay, he likes to buy time because he has great reactions, so that extra second is going to help him out. So then you start realizing, oh, my God, okay, so maybe that's something that I should be doing. And like we say, then you try it. And like JT said is that, okay, well, I dropped off. Last time I, made, like, I scored, like, uh, conceded, I was falling backwards and I slapped the ball into my own goal. Okay, maybe next time when I drop off, my weight shouldn't go back into my shoulders. Maybe I lean a little bit more forward. So now you're just micro, uh, like fine-tuning the little things that I think will help improve your game versus taking it so literal and saying, well, Lloris did it. Why is it not working for me? Ask the why, ask the why. And then once you're able to ask the why, you can answer those questions yourself. You're going to know yourself a lot better. And I think a lot of kids, they don't understand that goalkeeping is an investment in yourself over the years. And that's how the experience adds up. And if you keep on trying, not to deny, but if you keep on wanting the answers or like the literal answer, we talk about all the time, like the equation, and you get one formula. And if you want to just use that one formula for that equation, it's only going to work for that equation. But when you're put into a different scenario with a little bit different variables, numbers are a little bit different, and you use that same equation, excuse me, use that same formula for that equation, it's not going to work. So understanding that you need a lot of different formulas so that you can answer a lot of different equations, but you have to ask that from yourself first before you can get it from a coach. Yeah, that's a, that, that, that's a good point right there in regards to asking that first from yourself. Um, because I think, you know, JT, I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that I think a lot of young goalkeepers make. And I know we're getting a little bit off topic here is that they don't self-reflect first. They wait for the coach to tell them what they did wrong or what they did right. Yeah, no, I think so too. And, and, and it's, uh, like Omar was saying, it's investing yourself. It's putting in that time and putting in that, that practice. Um, one, one thing my dad, dad always said when I was growing up is, you know, you always hear something like practice makes perfect. Right. But he was like, for basketball, for example, you could throw the ball off the, the backboard a thousand times and it wouldn't help you at all get better at shooting. So he always used to say perfect practice makes perfect. So do, do the little things right when you're training it. And that'll, that'll eventually over time accumulate to, to making the, the big save or being in the right position at the right time for a shot. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I love the fact that he said that he said that because um, it is, it is just a marathon. It's a marathon and it's not a sprint. And I know how difficult it is for all you young kids out there because you see Hugo Lloris make this play and you're like, why, why can't I do this right now? Well, maybe you can, you know, 15 years from now when you play for Spurs too, maybe you will. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But you know, but, but you have to realize, you know, Lloris couldn't do that at 14, maybe. And, and maybe it yeah. took them, you know, six, seven, eight years before, before it all kind of clicked to click together. Um, and, yeah. and I, and I kind of I want to bring this up right now, JT. And actually, I want, I, let's pull, pull this clip up right now because we've been talking about small adjustments in regards to, you know, out of possession and, 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 shots to, and shot stopping situations. I want to talk about it in possession too because I think that's something that's also a big issue with a lot of youth keepers is that they, whoops, let me, let me pull this up here. Uh, let me get out of here. Uh, what did I just do? Um, hold on a second here, guys. I'm clearly great at this. <laughs> Mike, um, I'll make, I'll add on to that point while you figure it yeah, out. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So I think, well, you got it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got it. Go, go ahead. Keep going. Uh, my mind just completely went blank. I was watching you struggle and now I'm struggling. I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> <All> <laughs> right, well, 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 let me, let me, let me, let me pull up this. Uh, let me pull what up were we talking clip. about? Tell me real quick what we were talking about before. Like my mind completely went blank. 
we were just talking about that now, now in possession, oh, small movements got it, got in, pos- in possession, you know, can affect everything as opposed to too big a possession. So here's a play JT. Basically it's a simple pass back, you know, back to you right here. And now there's chase coming from your left-hand side. And as you see the chase a lot, what a lot of kids do is they start dribbling to the end. They start dribbling to the sideline. Right. And they go, oh, well, this player's coming at me. I got to get as far away from him as possible. And instead, what you do is just a slight adjustment of your shape, right? Just so that you've now shielded the ball. But now you still have a clear angle for a great lifted ball to Espinosa right here, which is freaking amazing right there. Look at that ball. Um, and that all wouldn't have been possible if you had panicked and started dribbling all the way to the sideline, right? Yeah, and I think, I mean, every coach is different and every I can't speak for everybody, but for me personally, I think, I mean, when the ball's on your foot and like you have it in control, then the whole field's open to you. And as soon as it kind of leaves it here and you don't have an idea of where you're going with it, then that panic kind of sets in. Like sometimes if you just act like you're under control and maybe in your head, you're like, oh my God, this guy's sprinting at me. Or, But if you just act calm, then the rest of the team kind of just goes with your decision that you make. So like for this one, I saw, to be honest, like it was a little bit of lucky of a ball that it got over him. But I, I saw that if you play a little farther that I couldn't play Nick, my right back here, because the guy was coming because he's a little bit higher on the screen. And so I knew I was always going to go to Christian. Um, and he made a really good run and kind of the ball found him in a good spot. But um, like you were saying, if kids start to dribble, like if I were to take a big touch away from the guy pressing me, I mean, at the end of the day, the attacker's probably faster than I am. And what, like one way that like a coach told me one time is, you know, even though keepers love to like, especially me, I always think that, Oh, I could could play in the field and possession and all that. The, the field players do that all day long. Like they're built to play possession. So like, they probably know where you're going to do with the ball, even before, you know, because they've seen this, seen that situation a thousand times. And so for me, it's just making a, a quick decision that even even if it might not be the right one, just you have to make a decision and and not flip flop in your brain because that's when you kind of panic and and the more choices that you start to go in your head, the the longer it takes for you to make one. But by the way, you, you just you just brought up something actually that was really fascinating to me because Omar, I, I don't know how you feel about this, but like I would not be able to tell based on your body language that there was any panic that there whatsoever. You seemed really cool, calm, and collective. But Omar, did you, did you sense the panic? Did you see, you know, a Michael magic type situation where he, he'd be freaking out and just striking the ball? <laughs> no, I think and, and it goes back to, again, we kind of peeled it back a little more. It's prep touch. Right. And I think the vision of you already see what's in front of you and you're already, okay, I'm getting this ball back. It shouldn't be, I'm getting this ball back. Then I'm looking, it should be, I'm getting this ball back. I already know what I'm, I already know what I saw the picture that I saw prior. So now I know where to take my prep touch. And then once that prep touch is right in front of you, you can keep your head up because that ball is in enough distance now where all you have to do is worry about where you're going to pick out your pass. And I tell my, I had a young goalkeeper, nine years old this past week, and I, he were doing passing. And Wait, you worked started, with a nine-year-old? Yeah, another nine-year-old that I got. Doesn't know, doesn't know how to pass very well. Oh, JT, so, I, I have to see an Omar Zini <laughs> nine-year-old session. Yeah. <laughs> He's breaking down the video film to this nine-year-old. <laughs> No, I, I I don't bring the film for this kid, but um, but no, and then and then you know his his like prep touch he keeps getting the ball stuck underneath him and he can't look up and he doesn't know what to do, and I was like, if I mean I, I should have used better words, but I was like, look, if you're in a situation where you keep on doing that and I'm the opposing coach, 
I'm looking at my striker. I'm pulling him over. I'm saying, look, when that guy gets the ball, he is going to panic. He doesn't know what the hell he's going to do. You go chase after him and you go grab that ball. And I was like, I was like, do you want that? Do you want that on your scouting report? Do you want people to be talking about you like that? And it was like this poor nine year old. Literally just thinking. I was literally just 10, thinking this. He turns ten pretty soon. So, so I mean, but I'm I'm just getting him ready for the for the real man for the real man world. But no, I was just telling him like in in those words, I was like, you want to be in a, in a position where you bring calm to your team. We talk about the the ducks in a pond, and we talk about it, they're in the pond. And their exterior looks so calm, but underneath they're, they're panicking. They're going quick because they're moving their feet fast. So as goalkeepers, we have to do that where the extremities, the outside of us, we have to look calm in our mind. It could be a little bit of panic, but we have to look calm because we are essentially, like I said today on, on my Instagram, it's like we're the quarterback of the team. And if the quarterback looks panic, boom, the whole team's uh, mentality, the whole team's uh, composure, everything goes out the window. So you got it. They, they take after your leadership. And if you look panicked and you look worried, everyone else will be worried as well. So you, like you said, you kind of have to play that, not play that role, but you have to make sure that you bring that out and then the team will follow in that, in that, uh, in that way. No, Yeah. And I think to, just to, to further that point, it was, uh, when I was in Academy um, at the time, Chris Leach, who is now the technical director for the Quakes or um, works in the front office. He was helping out with the Academy as soon as you, maybe a few years after you retired, and we were building out of the back one day and he told me, like pulled me over and he was just like, you have to look calm on the ball because exactly what Omar was just saying. If, if I'm an attacker and I see that you're fumbling over it and you're nervous, then he was like, I'm just going to sprint at you because then you're going to get even more nervous. So he was like, the calmer you look, then the least likely that they're going to start to press you because after two or three times of them running at you and you just play right around them, they're going to be pretty pretty pissed off and be like, All right, I'm not going to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's, that's so much, there's so much body language and kind of just what you're presenting to the whole field um, really matters. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, one thing, you know, get, getting back to kind of, you know, subtle, subtle movements and everything like that, JT, that I kind of want to bring up too, is just that like less is more right there in that situation too. Like, you know, one prep touch and then based on their scanning, making a decision is so much better than three touches to try to escape, you know? Um, because like you were saying, your chances are that guy's got, got an extra gear that you might not have. Like, no disrespect or anything like that. Like, you know, there's he's playing a certain position, you're playing a certain position. Probably right. the chances that he's playing that position at that level is because he's got that extra gear, you know, of, of, of pace of pace there. Um, and and I think that's a, that's a humbling thing that I think a lot of kids, like you were talking about the ego, kind of gets in the way it's like oh well i you know i i i can get i can get through this i can get through this rather than just being logical and i think there's just such a there's such a fear i think of kids right now of people thinking that they gave up and panicked and and made a clearance decision when in reality that wasn't a clearance decision um that was a calculated decision on your part yeah no it's a great point and um i think in the sounders game as well like i'm saying all this stuff and then if someone watches back the game, I gave away one ball right to, right to Jordan Morris trying to play out. Um, and it's like, you know, mistakes are going to happen, but you have to like learn from them and move on. It's not, I wish everything I was saying worked perfectly every time. Cause that would be, that'd be awesome. But it, it's not like that. And, um, you know, you're going to fail sometimes and just, you have to limit them. Um, there's a difference between, you know, making mistakes, and then learning from them and then continuing making the same mistake. 
Yeah, yep. yeah. Yeah, I want to I want to bring this this up right now too, is because uh, you know we were talking about Allison Becker earlier, and I think one of the things that I really impresses me about Allison Becker is that he's so good at being comfortable and calm and being very efficient in his movements and transition, where a lot of keepers they freak out in transition, you know, and and that's when you start getting kids either retreating or staying too high or or any sort of thing like right that. JT, are you frozen? You there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think did, he is. Did we, did we lose? Did we lose JT? <laughs> oh no! Oh no, wow! It's go. like you were, we're good. We're good, dude. dude we're good. It literally looked <laughs> you were like napping. it looked like you had fallen under a spell. And I just been watching Lovecraft Country, so I was just like thinking of magic. <laughs> Sorry, the, and I was the like, Wi-Fi I was like, went out real quick. Oh no, we're good. It's all good. We've uh, by the way, the the last I've been editing today, and uh, we've been ha- there's been some Wi-Fi issues around the country the last couple <laughs> of weeks. Haven't there? Happens hasn't there, Omar? Yes, there has, man. Everyone's on Zoom, so I think that's where all the Wi-Fi is going. But I got, I got uh, some extenders. Mike will be happy. All right, congratulations, dude. An extender right here, Google, there you Google go. Home. Wow, uh, that's that's awesome. So now, so now the Wi-Fi connection goes farther. Is that what it does? Yes, yes, crazy. It came out of the inside of the eighteen budget. It was wild. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh. Uh, well, we got to put that budget sheet together soon. So rem- remind yes, me. <laughs> Good transition as always. We'll have to put that in there right there. Mike, what um, I think what I think what I'm gonna do is the next date I go on, I'm gonna bring you in. And if anything kind of goes I guess awkward, I need you to transition me out of that conversation. You gotta figure <laughs> something out. Like I'm you should be honest that everyone's everyone's trying to make money these days and do crazy jobs. And I think that's one for you. It's like, look, you're on a bad date, you're an awkward person. Don't worry, I will listen. I will transition you from conversation to conversation. Mike Dude that's a sketch right there like it's just like and it's run like a, it's run like a podcast it's like who's that guy with the headphones and a microphone next to you he's like oh don't worry about that that's just that's just, that's just our that's just the co-host it's like what wait what you brought a co- i'm gonna write that down that's a funny sketch not a bad uh, idea. yeah 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 Thanks when uh when the world opens back up again and we can actually get together in person i'm uh what were we talking about? JT asleep? Um, no, oh, no, no, no. Transition, transi- transition, transition, transition. Did you hear all that that I was talking about with like Allison and stuff like that? No. Okay. So <laughs> ba- basically what I was saying is like what I love about Allison is that when he's in, tr- when, in transitional play, losing possession, a lot of young kids, that's when their movements become very big because they panic. And so they either play too high and, 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 and bite at a ball and bite at a play or they retreat literally all the way back to the goal line. You know, JT, why don't you talk about how important it is to be subtle with your movements in transition and make sure that you're flowing with the, with, with the counter basically. To, to make sure <laughs> you're connected with your back four is before the transition happens. Um, so that way you're not having to make such a long run or such a long drop um, when that counter does happen. Right. Is so when I was um, last year, sometimes and and John Bush was my goalkeeper coach for a camp and Bushy was talking about there was a long ball out and kind of it was down the left wing and I was close to to going for it. And I I retreated back and he was like, before that, the ball even comes, look where your position is. I was a little bit too far in the middle of the field. And he was like, if you're four yards more to your right and you're a little bit more connected to your back line, he was like, you come out and clear that right away. No problem, no questions asked. But it's just like, even before that transition happens, I'm sure if you were to watch Allison kind of from the, of a camera behind him, the little movement that he does throughout the game, I'm sure he's connected with his back four. I'm sure he's he's stepping, he's dropping, he's moving left to right. Um, And then, so then when that does 
counter does happen, you don't have to make such a long movement. Um, and it's, it's much more subtle or much more composed. Yeah. You, I, I think you, that, that's actually really a great point that you just brought up right there because I, I wasn't even considering that fact is that if your movements are, if it's little, 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 you never have to make a grandiose movement because you never have to make a quick, you have, never have to make a huge adjustment because right. you're always on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you will. I know sometimes it's, you know, that's what the game calls for is that you have to make a long run back or you have to make a long run forward and go intercept the pass. But, um, I mean, Neuer does that great. He, he, he's great at reading the game. He's great at coming out. He, you know, he's been known as the sweeper keeper. Um, people like to call it, but um, it's, it's more of just, he's in the right position. Um, he, yeah. he knows what he's good at. He knows that he's good at reading the play. And so, I mean, the amount of goals he's probably saved and the amount of counterattacks he's saved and he makes it look so easy when he does it. Um, like the other yesterday during the game, he was between him and Alaba and he like sidetracked volley over the coming attacker and it, it looks so easy or he comes out and heads the ball right to his defender and i mean um it just shows how composed he is and and how smart he is at reading the game yeah yeah, yeah. nothing that that's uh like we we're talking about earlier with you know a goalkeeper who looks panicked you can you can switch your tactics if i'm the opposing team i'm going to switch my tactics to really expose that insecurity that you may have on the ball or panic on dead ball situations whatever it is but at the same time, too, if you're very, very good and very calm and efficient at what you do, whether it's against sweeper keeper or reading of the game, that is going to influence the opposing team as well. It's like, look, we've tried a lot of times trying to get that ball over the top. It's not working. Let's put the ball down. Let's play more of a, you know, uh, we call half court in basketball, right? But it's like, uh, in, in, you know, play within the thirds instead of just trying to bypass and trying to play over the top. It's like, if you can influence that and you can influence the scouting reports that they have to change their tactics because of all the strengths that you bring to the table. I think that's the that's the goal now in the modern game. Yeah, I I, I want to say something about about that too. Is that uh, you know, Omar? I think the play that I think really represents this to me recently, just thinking of Allison Becker, is last year in the Premier League. It was the Bournemouth play. I think it was whether it was it Bournemouth or was it Southampton, where where he stayed high and he he because because they countered quick, he was able to stay high, make a slight shift of his body, and be able to make the play right at the top of his eighteen. Do you know the play I'm talking about? Do either of you guys know what I'm talking about? It was like a double save situation. Um, like a 1v1? Yeah. Yeah, it was in a 1v1. It, yeah. it was a 1v1. Um, I think I may have seen it, yeah. And I think okay. that's where, yeah. I think even, I mean, we talk about Ederson, Allison, and I think uh, JT made a good point is that you're seeing so many situations where they're influencing it directly so that it doesn't turn into a full attack or doesn't turn into an actual situation where now they're defending in their, their bottom third because he came out and ended the situation before it even had a chance to, to grow. And there are so many situations, too. I, I did a breakdown of Ederson versus Leeds. I think it was two weeks ago. And there was a situation they were driving the ball down the right side. And I, you could see his leg, like, twitch a little bit because he was ready to read the situation. And the situation there didn't happen that way, but the guy ended up holding the ball instead of crossing it. But I slowed that down, and I showed people. I was like, when you see a goalkeeper whose IQ, so many ideas are running through his head, but at the same time, too, even though those little minor decisions, he's not going all out on those minor decisions where he gets, you know, becomes vulnerable. He loses his stability or he loses his balance. But he's so calculated that all you have to do is take a little bit of a step. And if that ball did come through, he's getting he's going to win it. But because it didn't go through and that step was so small and calculated, he was able to retract that step and then get back to the angle. 
So I think it's so important to not just watch situations of the goalkeeper when they were able to cut, you know, cut out the attack, but situations as well where what were they doing when that ball got deflected? Or what, what were they doing when that ball, you know, uh, was won by the defender? The, the center back actually won it instead of them having to come out and do to make an, uh, an interception. So I think that's really, really important, too, is, is really watching the whole play of situations that weren't successful, but at the same time, too, ones that uh, they didn't have to do much. You know, uh, by the way, I, I would say that we would bring bring up that clip right now, but that is a, a Pro yeah, yeah, Academy yeah. premium. It's premium content. So, uh, <laughs> so unfortunately, we can't we cannot give that away for free. Just That's visualize, a, visualize. Mm-hmm. I've gotten better at, at speaking it so that when people can hear it, they go, ah. That's better than the game. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's, but, a, it's a good point. If, yeah, if I could jump in real quick, just about like the yeah. macro movements and and with Ederson especially, like when you watch him, his feet are rarely like shoulder to shoulder with a part on the same line. Unless, unless it's a shot coming in. Yeah, it's always one in front of the other and making sure that he's ready to go. And like those little things of milliseconds when he doesn't have to then switch his feet to there he's already there and then he can go um i think it just it makes it the world a difference yeah you know and it's funny because when i think of ederson i, I didn't i didn't even i didn't even recognize that because when i think of ederson i think of big movements i think of explosive movements i think of him you know i don't want to say out of control but but a little bit more um dynamic uh as opposed to you know um it what's, what's the word i'm looking for you know um the energy you know what i'm talking about when the energy is like all inside your body and it's like condensed condensed energy yeah. right I, I don't even i don't even think of, i don't think of that so i, I really want to go back and, <laughs> and 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 see that um i, I want to talk about this with with you jt is that um when you take big movements how much especially for youth keepers how much do they not understand that they're telegraphing what it's going to happen. Essentially the players are now manipulating the goalkeeper into what they want the goalkeeper to do. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, that's a good point of, of trying to, to make sure you stay in control of the play um, and making sure you're not the one reacting to what the, the attacker does. Obviously if he takes a touch a certain way, then you have to move your body, but making sure that you don't over correct that movement to then try to cover for, I mean, the, the kind of the play that we brought up in the very beginning of covering your near post. So if you take a huge cross step and try to get across the goal too quickly, and then, then you're out of position too far, like you've made too much of a, a movement. Uh, and it's just, you always try to want to ma- try to maintain that, that like you're driving the play, you're the one driving the car um, rather than the, the attacker forcing you to, to do things that you don't want to. Mm-hmm. It's a chess match, yeah. and that's the that's the beauty of it, and that's why those uh, scouting reports are so important. Because again, it's an educated uh, decision. You understand what Lukaku, what Messi, what they're going to do. We're bringing it full circle now. What they're going to do because you have an understanding of what you've seen on film. I think that is just it's just so important to to go into a game with as much information as you possibly can. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, but at least you have an idea of what the tendencies are. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming, JT, obviously at your level, that the scouting reports really, really dictate, and I'm sure you're working on it throughout the week, you know, with the, with, 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 with all the, with all the players there, you know, and, and replicating, you know, specific scenarios that you might see in the game based on the scouting reports that you, you know, that you have and everything like that are going to kind of dictate how you move once you get into those scenarios. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, our coaches do a great job of, of breaking down the film and then, 
working on different strategies or ideas that might happen in the game. Obviously, they don't know for sure. Um, you know, we could have three ideas before we go into the match and five minutes in, they're playing a, a completely different formation or completely different style. And then you kind of have to adjust on the fly. But at the end of the day, you know, players play certain way and um, our coaches do a great job of, of making sure that we're very aware um, of their trends and their kind of consistent movements. Yeah. I, I, I think that uh, one thing I, I want to talk about when you were just saying in regards to movements, I want to talk about balance um, and core strength because we haven't even touched on that yet. I think one of the reasons why a lot of kids and Omar, I'm sure you can attest to this as well, since you work with nine-year-olds now, um, you've got, two, <laughs> got two, got two of them now. Too, um, yeah. They're not, they're not in control of their bodies though, but they're not in control of their bodies and how just having core strength and having that discipline of the body to have those stabilizer muscles conditioned in a way where they don't, if you go like this, you don't end up going like that because your body can't, can't just maintain this. Does, does that make any sense to anybody or am I just doing weird movements and gyrating in the chair right now? So. Honestly, I don't want to say it, but those are some weird movements, dude. What's going on? <laughs> what is happening? I don't know. I was like trying to, I was trying to, I was trying to show like what the difference between like this and that, you know, um, you like, need yourself uh, to, I hear you. Just I, hear you. Here. <laughs> I hear you. Um, and I think, I think so much of goalkeeping and is that core strength and is that because that's what controls, you know, where your body will go based on like a certain, a step or a certain direction that, that let's say your legs take and your body or your upper body isn't just, just falling all over the place. Um, and it's, it's that balance and it's maintaining, um, kind of that forward lean and that athletic position um, to make sure that you're not on your heels um, to bring up what Omar was saying about, about Yoris. And if, if, if you retreat and you go on your heels, like you're always going to fall backwards. So like that save that you make, let's say you get a hand on it, but if you're falling backwards, it still might go in. Um, and in certain scenarios, you can't, you can't help it. But um, if you consistently tell yourself, okay, let's, let's try to maintain that balance and to ma maintain that forward lean, then you're going to, start to tip balls around the post that before we're going in, or you're going to start making a movement at a 45 degree angle compared to a 15 degree angle, which then will help you save the ball. Um, and it's just, I mean, I think with goalkeeping and everything is a factor, um, your strength, your, your core strength, your leg strength, your explosive work. Um, it, it all comes into play. Cause I mean, at the end of the day, what we're making two to six actions a game, so it's crazy when you think about it, because it's not like you put in hours and hours and hours of work. And then, you know, maybe in some games it's one shot and it's in the 80th minute tied zero, zero, and you have to make the save. Um, and it's just, I mean, I think we've said this before, but goalkeeping's 90% mental and 10% physical for me. It's making sure that you stay sharp and um, your mind kind of controls, controls so much of what your body does. Yeah. And, and I think that's what makes it so difficult for, for, for youth keepers. I know Omar had difficulty not focusing on the ice cream truck when he was nine years old. Like that was, that was, if this is not a, if this is a, uh, what's it called? People don't aren't like normal listeners and they're tuning in for the first time hearing that. They're probably like, damn, this guy, this guy's a jerk. We just made a sad joke to Omar. No, but yeah, yeah, I definitely, I definitely, uh, but uh, yeah, like JT said, it's the movements and the micro movements, as long as you're like, locked in and you're really, really focusing on, the play developing, not even in your own third, but in their, you know, defensive third. If you're tuned in there, 
your positioning will will follow suit. JT, will it make it easier for young keepers if they start trying to compartmentalize, you know, their movements based on, you know, I think one of the biggest mistakes with, with young keepers when you're talking about 11, 12 years old and they first get in that massive, you know, big goal. Because I remember when I, I remember I first got in the first big goal and I was like, this thing is, anno- there's no way I can cover this entire thing. I think I have to literally jump across the goal in order to be able to make a save. Um, is if we just, if we just start breaking it down and just, you know, letting them do like, this is compartment one, compartment two, compartment three, compartment four. And, and even at your level, if you think of it from a, from that type of grid standpoint of like where, you know, where's the service coming from is, you know, is it area one, area two, area three going to make it that much easier for you? Yeah. And I, I think so. I think if it's um, the way I was kind of brought up on was like first goal, second goal, thir- third goal. Um, so the first goal, you're that angle. The second goal is in the middle. Third goal is that far post kind of cross that you have to run all the way through. Um, but also I think the movements, like the little steps that you can get in during those things. Um, I mean, a perfect example is two nights ago with Andre Blake safe on that free kick um, late in the game. You know, you could see it was, it was one, two, then you dive. I think if he just tried to make a big old step and then dope, I don't know if, I mean, knowing him and his athleticism, like he probably could have, but um, his, his ability to take those short, quick steps, um, just put him in a perfect, perfect position to make the save and tip it over. I think that's the evolution of Andre Blake, to be honest with you. Um, I think, you know, I think he's had a phenomenal season. I mean, absolutely phenomenal season, you know, and, and, and I think maybe a few years ago, even the goalkeeper of the year, Andre Blake might've, might've gone that once that one step, but you know, now that, that progression and that development. And, and, and I don't want to say the maturation of Andre Blake, cause he's always been a high level, high level goalkeeper, but just, you know, learning how to, make things simple, make, make things simple, you know, showcases like, you know, when you, just cause you have that ability doesn't necessarily mean that you need, need to pull that out. You know, you want to make the, the situation as, as simple as possible, you know? Um, and, and I'm sure Andre would, would, would attest for that if, if he was on, on right now, I'm sure I'm, I'm hoping that he takes this in a positive manner. I don't want Trey to be. <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, he's been a, um, absolute stalwart for them. And he's been, he's been great all year. I mean, the saves that he's been making and decisions that he's made is, has been fantastic. Yeah. Omar, did you post that one? The free kick? No, I didn't. I think everybody uh, in the community had posted about it. So I didn't want to be late to the party. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, you know what? I'll just, I'll just wait on it. So. Oh my gosh. Um. Well, 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 awesome guys. I know we, we've been going for a, for a while right here and, and JT, I appreciate you, you know, dealing with the, the Wi-Fi issues. Yeah, sorry um, about that. That's no, dude, my end. it's all good. You know, the thing is, is that like, you know, you're in Silicon Valley. You would have think yeah, out of all think. places, dude, the Wi-Fi would be literally like you could, you could 4K stream a movie right now on your Wi-Fi. Yeah, you, you would think. You would think. You would think. You know? <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to blame it on the fires. It's all, uh, it's all, it's all the fires. That's, uh, that's, that's hey, what's been doing it. It's all right. We'll, we'll, we'll adjust it. We'll move on. <laughs> um, but before, before we go, um, if you just have like, you know, like any, any just small little, little board of advice that you would want to give like a youth keeper who's having trouble, you know, um, making these micro movements and, and just gets, keep catching themselves, you know, getting scored on still moving, still moving, still moving. Like what would be like your just kind of clear, concise and direct CCD, like I like to say, Omar, uh, word of advice to them. One, if you have the ability to, to watch yourself train, so whether it be just setting up a, a video camera, setting up a camera during games to then to look back and see, okay, this is what I did here, here, and here. Okay. How can I improve that? And then 
let's say you play on the weekend on Monday's training, let's, let's go through and let's try to correct some things. Um, another thing, like we talked about in the beginning is don't be yourself too. don't be yourself up too much. Um, I think, you know, keepers make mistakes. Young keepers make mistakes. Old keepers, old keepers make mistakes. It's going to happen. Um, the hardest part of the position is that mistakes often lead to goals. Um, and they're very noticeable, you know, it's, it's different if you're a, a striker and you miss a few, a few, you know, easy shots here and there. But as a goalie, if you miss a few easy shots here and there, that means it's probably three or four goals against you. Um, and that's the nature of the position. And I think for me, that's what makes it so fun. Um, the pressure of, of dealing with those, with those circumstances is, is what makes it worth it to me. And um, as a young goalie, I think it's just having the ability to, to learn from your mistakes and then take, take things on the chin and then, and then move on from them. Yeah. And, and I, I would, I would ask Omar if he, if he wanted to add on to that, but Oh, oh no, he's back. I thought, right. it, I thought it was just the, the ghost of the ghost of Omar, Omar, Omar Zini uh, for a second. Uh, did, did you want to add on to that or, uh, or do you th- feel JT succinctly uh, uh, awarded? Can you repeat the question. So I know exactly the, the words. I just basically said it was very clear, concise, and direct, Omar. It was uh, just words <laughs> of advice to a, a kid that was get, that's getting caught moving consistently and getting scored on over and over again. So, No, I think what JT said is, is right on point about watching film on yourself. Um, film, again, it, it helps you answer questions that you may have. And I think a lot of us were so dependent on somebody else's opinion because, I mean, I'll use myself as, as well as that. Sometimes I like to use other people's opinions so that if I use their advice and it doesn't work, that justifies why I wasn't successful at it, if that makes sense. So I think a lot of times when you have young kids who are being fed literal things about goalkeeping and they don't have the autonomy to think for themselves, they grow this opinion about things of like, you know, coach told me to do it. It didn't work. It's not my fault. So they kind of throw blame. And I feel like when you start watching film, you really you become accountable. And I think once you become accountable, there's no way of hiding. Cause like, there's only so many times you can lie to yourself. You're going to watch it a few times. And you'd be like, Whoa, I keep jumping there. Damn. Okay. That's me. No one else told me to do that. And then you keep watching. You're like, okay, I'm still doing it. Well, okay. I, no one's telling me to do this. I got to make sure I get it right. So you really start understanding yourself on a deeper level. And when you watch the film, cause you can't lie to yourself and then you are accountable to yourself. And when you're accountable to yourself, you're going to have really, I feel like you're going to really start getting to know what you're made of. At the same time, you're going to find a lot more solutions because now you're dependent on yourself, not other people. So what I would say is film is super important so that you're accountable to yourself and not taking everything literally from your coaches. You know, you you got, you brought up a, a really good point right there, Omar, in regards to, you know, taking accountability. And I I know, you know, I'm, I'm adding on to this right here, you know, but, but I've had kids, well, I don't want to name anybody or whatever, but like, I'll be like, well, are you? you know, why didn't you bring your camera? And they keep forgetting to bring their camera. They keep forgetting to bring their camera or like, oh yeah, well, I'll film next time. I'll film next time. I'll film next time. You know? And I think a lot of it might just be because like mentally JT, like they don't want to admit that they're wrong or that there's fault. And if they don't film it, then they don't have to admit that to themselves. You know, they can just blame it on this or that or whatever. Or like, why? Well, I, I just think he, I don't think that's what I'm doing or whatever. You know, and I, you know, and, yeah. and, and I think that's just a, a huge issue that we just have in our society in regards to youth players really need to understand. Take it. You know, I, again, I don't want, you know, nine year old Omar, you know, telling him, like, you know, based on the scouting report, they're going to say, you know, this. So I want you to take accountability for that. But but at the same time, you know, you need to be honest with yourself 
Um, like you were even talking about just that hopping situation deal. I thought that was a little harsh on you, but you know, uh, <laughs> I, st- I still think, um, all right, guys, we'll, uh, we'll start wrapping up here. JT, uh, first off, honestly, congrats on all the success, man. It's, it's, it's been awesome to see, Thank um, you. you know, and, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, national team stuff, you know, comes, comes back, uh, any, any word yet on uh camps or anything like that? Is that, that stuff? Nothing, nothing yet. <laughs> yeah. So kind of playing it by ear and hopefully, hopefully things will work out and, uh, we'll go from there. Yeah. Well, I mean, you guys got a playoff push right now. That's just should be your number yeah. one focus. And, and anyway, so, uh, Omar, exactly. what's the play, what are the playoffs like Omar? Do you know what the playoffs are yeah, like? Yeah, you know, it's it's been a few years. It's been a few years. But just like the Lakers, you know, we're out of for almost like a decade, and now we came back, and I think that's what's going to happen to the Galaxy when Chris Bond gets fired. <laughs> Sorry, I think Chris hears this. <laughs> oh, well, Anywho. I was going re- to reach out to Dan Kennedy to come on the show, but this may, that may not be the best choice anymore. <laughs> Dan's, doing, doing, Dan's doing a good job on Spectrum, man. I like his analysis. So I think he'll come on for goalkeeping stuff. It's just so funny. You know, he does the uh, – not the play-by-play, but they come to, to halftime. And when they talk about the field player stuff, you can tell he's still getting comfortable with it. And then they started asking him about it. I think it was about Klinsman. And he, yeah, you could see his tone change up completely. He's just like, he just knows what he's going to say, so precise. And just like, damn, he, he really knocked that out of the park. So he's getting better at the field player stuff with the goalkeeping stuff. It was just so second nature. And I just like, I sat there, I was like, damn, that's fire. I loved it. That's awesome. Yeah, when I- he really is. When I contact Dan, I'm definitely going to show him that clip right there of what, what you said right there. Right like, he's, he's still getting comfortable with the field player stuff. Um, JT, if anybody out there, um, again, you know, one of, one of the cool things is that, you know, you're a young up and coming goalkeeper, pro goalkeeper in the game right now. Crazy humble. Um, I don't, I don't think a lot of people recognize how humble you are for, for, for the level that you're at. Um, where's the best place for people to reach out to you if they, if they want to connect? Yeah, you can just hit me up on Instagram. I think my, Handle is just JT Marksinkowski, and then Twitter is the same. So maybe I think Twitter is JT underscore Marksinkowski. So he yeah. does, he does respond. Yeah. I'll tell you that, guy. So if he doesn't respond to you, contact me and I'll forward your message. All right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> for sure. If Omar sees it, if Omar sees it, Omar only, I mean, Omar, dude, you have a hundred thousand people that message you every day. So. I, I, I get it. And the worst part is, is that I, I leave messages on my stories and I've been posting a lot of like little highlights on there now. And people are like, oh my God, people are, people are like, oh, you're showing this. What about pick for tackling Van Dyke? All these Liverpool fans like got in my DMs. I'm like, what? Just, I'm just talking about goalkeeping. I'm not talking about <laughs> anything else. <laughs> just leave that to the side, guys. Oh, my not my job. Yeah, it's not my job. I, I can't yeah. comment on that. No, the social media people, man, they're just, they're on another, they're on another level. Like they'll comment on something and you're like, you're like, wait, that has, has nothing to do with what this clip was. Like, why, why are you even bringing this up right now? Or they'll say like Ray-Ban sunglasses for 99 cents. Like, and I'm like, <laughs> I don't think this has anything to do with the, with the topic whatsoever. Um, guys, remember, uh, if you have a guest suggestion or a topic suggestion, contact at inside the 18, that's the number 18 media dot com or at goalkeeper podcast on all social media platforms that is all the time on inside the 18 and we are out later guys hey everyone it's michael before we move on to our next segment, want to remind you all to rate and review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Literally takes 10 seconds and immediately makes you eligible for prizes. If you don't have an iPhone, borrow a friend's iPhone. It's just that easy. Thanks for all the support, and on with the show.
Welcome to Inside the 18. I'm Michael Majid, live from Hollywood, California. With me, you know her as the one and only goalkeeper coach for UCLA, Suskia Weber. Look, I just decided to shorten it for today because we've got the UCLA hat on. Got the Angel City, City shirt, co-owner for Angel City, 99 World Cup winner. <laughs> uh, you know, me. you know who it is. Just welcome. You're like, just move on to the guest. Uh, joining <laughs> us today, guys, uh, we have a uh, Houston Dash goalkeeper coach, Brenton Saylor. Uh, Brenton, what's up, man? This is this is exciting, man. I, I, you know, one one thing that's always really humbling for us is that whenever we find out that, you know, coaches or professional coaches, you know, watch the show, listen to the show, uh, benefit from the show, you know, it, it makes us makes us feel all good inside and also makes us feel like we are doing something to contribute to the goalkeeping community. So thank you for being a listener. Appreciate it. No, no, you're welcome. I enjoy you guys and you bring personality to it, which is fun. And it's not always monotone and, you know, it's really, uh, really good the way you guys go about it. So. Yeah, it might not well, be well, as funny today because we can't make fun of Omar the whole hour. So, but. Oh, but, but Omar okay. just walks, he walks into those things. So we can make fun of him while he's not here. The reason Omar's not there right now is because, guys, you can check out that great premium content on Pro GK Academy. Right now, he's doing 17-hour breakdowns of the entire weekend of the English Premier League. For the seven people that want that, it's going to be fantastic content. Uh, <laughs> No, no, no. It's, 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 it's good stuff guys. And we appreciate, honestly, we appreciate all the hard work that Omar does for, for the goalkeeping community. Um, guys, uh, today's topic is going to be a, a really big one because a lot of people here have been discussing this in regards to, I don't have access to field players. You know, I've got different types of levels of goalkeepers in my sessions. Everyone's talking about game realism right now. You know, how do I make this still happen? Which is a fantastic topic. And kind of before we kind of get into that, which was broached by the way, by Brenton, uh, Brenton, for some of the people out there who might not be familiar with kind of, you know, who you are and you know, what you do with Houston dash and with the youth program and everything. Uh, why don't you kind of give a little, little synopsis? Uh, yeah, so I'm the goalkeeper coach for the Houston Dash. I've been with them now two seasons or, or whatever you want to call this past year uh, with the fall series and the Challenge Cup. We'll, we'll combine it into one. Um, but been with the Dash for, for two years now. Um, I've been with the, the Houston Dynamo Academy for, I want to say, three and a half years now. So time flies. Um, and then I was in the college game, actually, for 11 years before that. Um, so been in a couple different platforms but really happy where I'm with now and with great coaches and great people and great players and, and really enjoying it so you, you know one of the great things though is like you know with your accent and you know and your appearance and everything like that I'm sure people come up to you and they're like oh you were coaching in college or like what SEC football team were you working with you know so it's like <laughs> I didn't get that I do I do maybe, <laughs> well maybe maybe, maybe you, know, you know maybe maybe I'm just uh just uh just used to used to, you know, like that, the kind of like the all American look when it comes to college football and everything like that. And I was just literally waiting for, for Brenton to just be like, by the way, guys, I've been putting on this accent the whole time. I'm actually from like Liverpool or something like that, you know? No, I'm actually a farm boy from, from Lincoln, Illinois. Um, I, I work with a lot of different accents, but uh, <laughs> no, from, from Farmville really. And then uh, I just keep working my way South and have ended up in Houston, Texas. So nice. That's awesome, man. So let's let's kind of kind of broach into this kind of topic right now because you've got you've brought together some fantastic little uh, session designs and everything like that for to share with everybody. And um, kind of basically before we kind of get into it and everything like that, you know, maybe there's some parents out there who don't know what we're talking about. Um, they might hear these different topics or you know terms all the time on the field. You know, Brendan, in your own words, what is a realistic game scenario? 
Yeah, I think uh, I can break it up even even further. So a game scenario is one where we're able to work on something within the theme of a training session, but there's multiple decisions involved. Um, so I think when you go into a technical activity, the tactical decisions already been made for you. Um, so for example, let's just say we're working on a, a tight collapse dive to the left side. Okay. Um, it's pretty much rehearsed, you know, building up to that, the goalkeeper knows, okay, this is where the service is going to be. It's going to be to their left-hand side. Um, that's the, the decision. I know my footwork needs to take me into that position and take it. Um, now when we go into game-based training, um, the shot might be angled, so it could go left to right. So there's a technical and tactical decision. Um, your positioning, how far do I want to be into the goal? Um, do I want to create depth? Um, do I want to close down even further based on the touch of the, of the striker? Now we're getting into game-based training because there's more than one um, tactical decision to make, or at least that's how I break it down. Hopefully that's a, a simplified version, but I, lo I love what oh, you absolutely. said right there. And, and I think, you know, Susky and I, we, we've, we've discussed this before in the past in regards to what you were saying is like when you're just doing a technical activity, that decision making a lot of times, and I'm not saying, you know, maybe necessarily coaches here on, on this panel right now, but a lot of coaches, they take that decision making out of the session and they spoon feed, right, Saskia, like that decision on what the, the goalkeeper does in that moment. Right. And there's a time and a place for everything. So there's a time and a place for, like you said, like a tight collapse dive to the left and then like doing it repetitively and um, getting footwork down, uh, making sure like, you know, two hands are going to the ball, like how their steps are, like stuff like that. And, and, and there's a time and a place for that. That's, that's technical training. And all goalkeepers, so anybody watching, don't get it wrong. Like, well, everything should be game realistic. No, you guys. You got to like, you know, just like any, like any basketball player goes and takes a bunch of free throws, you know, they, you gotta, you gotta practice kind of those technical points, but then moving into a game realistic scenario, like just said, like then applying it. Um, so not everything should just, it's not one way or the other. No. And, and I'll preface this by saying it's something I still haven't mastered, you know, oh, and absolutely. I, think, I, I think it even depends on the goalkeeper you're working with. Um, what was really interesting between the youth goalkeepers and the dash goalkeepers who are a little bit older. Um, it's funny because the younger guys in the, the youth Academy, they're used to this more game-based model where there's a lot more game implemented training, right. you know, rather than technical work. So they're actually more comfortable with that. And, and that's kind of what they're growing up in. So they like to move on a lot faster where it, it's funny. If I did that with the dash goalkeepers, I, I would be able to feel the voodoo doll at night. Um, you know, they'd be angry with me. Um, they, they want that progression. So even within the ages, um, this is an interesting topic and the way and the direction training is going, what the goalkeepers are comfortable with. Um, so I think a lot of it even depends on the, the goalkeeper, where they're at in their career, where they're at in their age yeah. and how they've even grown up training. But Yeah. And I think, I think that like, I see the same thing with youth goalkeeper, but then with like the UCLA goalkeepers and stuff, like, but I need, like, I guess for me, we do so much game, like game realistic training. We're always with, we, like, we're with the team 90% of the time. The goalkeepers always start with me and stuff like that. But I, I need to take that time to, I don't like the term spoon feed, Mike. Okay. I, I need to take the time to do some repetitive technical stuff to break some bad habits. 
And um, because we can, we can try to do it, but you know, we all know game scenarios. I'm not guaranteed it's going to come up all the time. You know what I mean? And so if I, over the course of a week, keep seeing a repetitive bad habit in a game scenario, I need to address that um, the following week or something in private technical training to say, look, you keep doing this, your, your, your weights on your heels in this scenario and kind of recreating the game scenario within a controlled environment. Yeah. 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 You, you know, Suski, you brought up a really good point in regards to that. And like, then that is the fact is that like a lot of youth coaches out there, especially during this quarantine time, Brenton, and I know we, we've spoken about this is that they've been watching all these different, you know, the Southampton Academy, you know, how they, how they run their session or whatever. And they go, Oh, cool. Well, I'm going to do that with my, you know, my club, you know, here in Iowa where I've got, you know, a four, you know, a 14 year old, a nine year old and a, and a 19 year old all in the exact same session of all different varying ability levels. And I'm just going to have that- never played before. Who just has to step in this weekend that the field player coach sent to me. And it's like, Hey, can you teach me how to play keeper? Is it play this weekend? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And I'm just describing, and that's an average youth goalkeeper club session a lot of the times, right, Brenton? Yeah, absolutely. I always just say, I send him back. I'm like, I'm not teaching him anything. Just tell him to keep the ball out of net. But, 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 but that is that is the difficult thing. And, and we had some people in the comment section, actually, on one of the group threads, and they were saying, they're like, hey, you know, it's great when you guys have these pro coaches on and they say, well, you got to keep a game scenario and game realistic and everything like that. And then they explain that situation right there. And they go, how can I use that nine-year-old as a field player against a 19 year old? It's not real. It's not real. It's not realistic. So Brenton, how do, how do we, how do we adjust this? Um, you know, I think distances and, and even service are, are a huge way. I mean, you can do technical work and, and still make it relatable to the game and going into that game-based scenario. So for example, if you're talking about the goalkeepers winning free ball played in behind that space, well, if it's tight to goal, I mean, how often is that really going to happen that they're going to be able to run onto a free ball, uh, you know, two or three yards that's played in behind if you set your line or, or that restraining line right in front of the goal. Um, so now we're, we're getting away from the game-like part, you know, or if we're, we're talking about crosses, um, you know, and, and this, you're talking about flank play and, and the service is from 10 yards from the ground. Well, now that's a cutback. So it doesn't necessarily relate to the aspect of the game that you want. Um, so I think uh, in the technical part, it still has to relate to the game. And you can do that through distances and, and service and then tie that into multiple decision making. Um, but, you know, if you're, you're talking about, let's just say, tight collapse diving again on the on the ground, left to right, and you're serving a volley. Well, that's not not what you want from that technical aspect relating into the game. Um, so you can still make it game-like in the, the technical training um, through your service and distances, but those are huge things to think about leading in and progressing your sessions. Yeah, yeah, that that's a really good point. I never actually never even really, really thought about that. You know, Suski, obviously, you know, you spent your some time in, in the youth club game before, before you, mo you moved on, you know, to, to, to the college uh, system. And obviously there's a big, big difference in regards to not, not just the quality, but also the type of way that your training sessions are set up is, is that something that you kind of, uh, you kind of worked with when you were in the youth club setting? Yeah. I mean, you find there that you have such a, a different level like you know you'll have five different teams training four different teams training on the field or in the field space at one time and then I get all the goalkeepers and they're all different age groups and you know and we try to we try to make it so they're but their skill levels are different but again yes it can be it, you can adapt it 
in a sense. I think what's weird, I was thinking about it, was this whole the whole COVID thing and the distancing that, and I'm sure you had to deal with this. It kind of lays into that in a sense that, you know, there is no there is no contact or you know that's slowly changing but there was no contact so even like training like a through ball or something like that like the decision making still has to be there and the four and the person playing forward can't they can't collide with the goalkeeper they can't do anything so there is that sense of all right so still make the right decisions and follow through with it so if you have those younger kids, you can still set up a situation like that, whether, you know, they're, they're putting the pressure on, but there is no collision. There is no, this, you're not asking a nine-year-old to dribble a 19-year-old, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, sure. but at least put the pressure in that space. So the decision has to be made. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can, there are ways to work through that. You, you, you brought up a good point in that, in regards to that. And, and Brenton, I want to ask you this in regards to, so if you're in a scenario like this, let's just say, you know, I don't know why I'm, I, I threw this night. I, I don't know what club has the nine and 19 year old training at the same time. <laughs> that might be, that might be a safety issue right, right there. Unless that nine-year-old came with that 19 year old, which, brother, which brother has happened before. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but what about using saying, okay, instead of we're going to do, realistic game scenarios with the players that I have to my availability. We're going to do a technical train training session, and then we're going to do more of a lecture style, more conceptual um, showing different types of scenarios and throwing different players in for the, for the demos. Um, Is that something that you, that you think might, might be productive? Yeah, I think it could be because it, it provides a different picture. So sometimes the, the foot's always on the gas, especially in the youth sessions where we're, we're flying to get them through and, oh, I got 30 minutes and I got to get them into the, the field player session and we have to do this and cover this and this and this. Sometimes it's okay just to take your foot off the pedal and say, look, we're going to do something a little different tonight. We're just mm-hmm. going to walk through some things. Um, if you're going to do that, I think you have to have an engaging personality uh, and, and you have to be able to keep it fun. Um, and maybe a good way to go about that is, okay, we do a demo using the goalkeepers and now we take a step back and walk through it. So now they've been involved a little bit. They know what you're talking about because they've been in the situation. And now we can back up and actually walk them through it. Um, and it's a great way to involve kids of all ages because now, you know, if they're younger, you can take care of the service. So it's meaningful and makes sense to them. Um, if it's older, you can still do the service, but now they've done a demo, they've walked through it. Now they can all relate to that particular situation for their age. And, and now we're taking a step back and walking through it. And it might be a case of the 19 year old can play a little bit higher off their line because they're taller. The nine year old might have to drop a little deeper, but now they've all been in that situation. You can walk it, walk it through for their age. That I think that that's that's awesome the way you just described that right there. Now, that, now you had some session examples that you wanted to kind of show us, and I want to start kind of with the youth level, so you kind of you know walk us through what you kind of mean by by what you're showing right here. Um, I, I made you a host right here, so you should be able to share your screen if you got, if, or do you want me to do it? So no, I can do it. Maybe, okay. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> we if had I, that I, technical I, conversation earlier. If I leave you for a second, I apologize. That's no things. worries. Just share screen. Okay. So yeah, this is our younger guys. I want to say that this is 12 and 13 year olds. Yeah. So essentially how they've started the goalkeeper and silver are, are gray at the end. So right now we can, yeah, you got to click on it. So kind of walk us through what's going on here. Yeah. So the, the premise is the, the goalkeeper at the far end can play um, to the player on the mannequin right in front. So that actually serves as the six. So they're playing out of the back now. 
and then they get it back and they can look to play through. So now it's an angled shot stop uh, for the keeper. So now they have to decide how much they want to close down. Uh, he improvised there, used his feet. Yeah, um, that's a that, that that's a brave one right there. <laughs> <laughs> but now they, they have to make the decision how far they want to close down, you know, the angle, do they want to create depth um, or if it even gets played through, if they can come and win it. So now we're relating multiple situations to the game. It's not just one technique. There's multiple decisions involved. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you, this looks like this, we do functional training with um, forwards and stuff. The same thing for, you know, this looks like a drill I did on Friday. I think, or well, Sam actually did for the, for the forwards and I had the goalkeepers in for UCLA and it's, it's again, like I agree the movement to make this as game realistic is to force the keeper to move, to move across the goal and make those decisions, make sure their footwork's right. Make sure their decision-making is that a through ball? Can I come get it? Um, should I stand them up? Should I, you know, do a K save should, you know, and it's that constant relocating across the front of your, um, goal that is incredibly important that doing stagnant drills when you can move on from them is what you need yeah and if you wanted to progress this i mean it could start with a keeper playing a clip ball into the other keeper so mm -hmm. now we, we've related to playing into the nine then the other keeper can play into their six so now we've added a few different dimensions through distribution um you can look to play through more or, or that middle player can look to turn and strike um, so now you've tied in various scenarios and various progressions, you know, through distribution and through what you want to get out of that picture, you know, with, with them going to goal. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, one, uh, one, one thing I want to say about this, Brenton, is that, you know, one of the arguments that I'm sure some people will put in the comment section or, or, or one of a later email uh, that, that we enjoy getting uh, is that yeah, this looks great. I don't have this, these kids that are all at that same level though that, the argument I always get is that like an academy environment is artificial uh, in regards to what they have, they experience as a, as, as a, as a competitive indie youth club where they have kids that are all of different levels because essentially your field players there, your goalkeepers there. Yeah, who but are you're using your players. feet. You're, you, you're yeah. one, two touching and using your feet. So your goalkeepers are training distribution at the same time. Oh, nobody's, sure. asking, then... nobody's asking to be messy right there. Like we're just asking you to move the ball and pass it one, two touch, put a through ball in. How is that different than you me passing the ball back to you and you have to taking it out wide or serving the nine or, you know, or something like that or finding the oh, eight or the six. Oh, I agree. I'm just, I'm just trying to answer the questions before, before they start coming. They start coming in. <laughs> but that's like saying my kids can't kick the ball. Well, they better be able to teach them how. You know? Yeah. I, yeah. And, and the thing is, if you never put them in that environment, they're never going to be able to do it. Um, you know, exactly. and, and I have this problem at times too. We, we want our sessions to be super clean and super nice and look good for the camera. Uh, but sometimes there can be ultimate chaos. And, you know, when we get in the dash session, sometimes there's a few swear words and it's ugly and, <laughs> you know, it doesn't go to plan, but that's okay. As long as they learn from it, you know? Yeah. Um, I agree a hundred percent. Like I've done, I've done like, Try doing crossing drills, like just simple crossing drills with goalkeepers, and you'll just put your young goalie, you put your hand in your hands because the kid can't hit a, like a dead ball into the into the box. You're like, guys, it's just like a goal kick. So what you're telling me is you can't serve the ball, you know. So it might be chaotic, but it's still something they need to work on. And, and the difference is maybe with those academy boys, they're they're at a really good level, and we can progress quicker. Um, you know, if, if kids are learning or you're at a developmental stage, that's okay to stay with it longer. 
Um, and, and that's something else I've been guilty of. I want to move on because I have four activities and this is what I planned today. Yeah. And, you know, this activity is crap, but I'm still going to move on because that's what I had in the plans. And sometimes you, you just can't operate that way. You and know, sometimes you, you have you to go backwards. Yeah. If you only get to the second phase, that, that's okay. Um, and, and I think this is a case for that. You know, their distribution might struggle. That activity might break down for 20 to 30 minutes. But if they start to show progress, that's what you want. Yeah, totally. That's, that's one of the biggest mistakes that I made as, as a as a younger goalkeeper coach is that like, well, I'm like, because, you know, after going to all the different license courses and everything, I'm like, well, the Federation says I have to move to to, to B now and to C and to D, you know, before the final phase or, or whatever. And, 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 and one of the issues that, that I started having with that is that certain kids were on a certain page and ready to move on. Other kids weren't Brenton. So what do we do in that situation? Cause I know a lot of goalkeeper coaches say, well, you should just move on because you want to, you want to coach to the, your top players, not, not to your bottom players. You know, do you, do you feel, feel the same way? Yeah, I think, uh, I think it depends what environment you're in to a certain extent. Um, now, with the younger youth level, I think there's a way to cater to multiple different levels. And that's where you have to be clever as a coach. Um, I think when you get to the pro level, you know, you got to sink or swim. This is our top player and you got to get to that level. And if you don't, you know, it, it is what it is. We have to make you better to get you there because there's livelihoods on the line. And, you know, they're aspiring for big things and you can't get in the way of that. So that's part of management on my end. But when we get to the youth level, I think you just need to be clever. Um, so, for instance, if we're, we're doing stuff tight to the goal, okay, little Johnny might not be great with his left foot. So how can we utilize that? Well, he might not be accurate yet. So that's actually a great thing for point blank saves because it's not going to be predictable. Um, but you have to put him in the right positions when they're going to goal to utilize that. Um, so you know, in terms of, okay, if little Johnny shot stopping isn't great yet, um, we can move the other players back, change the distances, change the restrictions. So you might have to hit in two touches, the other kids get three, you know, or you might even pull one of the more advanced players to the side and say, look, I need you to play quicker. This has got to be one, two touch finishing while you go to another one and whisper in his ear, okay, you have three touches. So you can give different players, different restrictions. That's okay. Um, as long as it's mindful, to what you're working on and it helps them in that situation. That's perfectly okay. Yeah, I totally agree. hundred percent across the board, especially when it comes to the pro level or even like, okay, you're at this level. Now you've got to play up. Like I'm not going to, you know, yes, we have a certain like rhythm that we're on. This is where we want to get with practice and stuff. And, you know, it's time for you to step up and push yourself to get to where the top top keeper is. As far as the younger kids go, last time I checked, like if you're stuck on one drill for the whole time, I guess everybody needs it. Like there's not, you know, you all need it. So nobody can tell me that a young goalkeeper, hey, we should move like little Johnny on, you know, like little Johnny needs as much shot stopping as he can get regardless, (laughs) you know, even if, you know, little Paul, you know, (laughs) needs extra help. Like it's not going to hurt you, you know, if you stay longer in, in one drill. And I think that's where you can also be clever. And let's say that yeah. you have the more advanced keeper in goal say, Hey guys, I want to show you something. And then you get in on the service and you increase the speed or you change the starting position of that more advanced keeper. Okay. Now you're going to start at the edge of the six. I want you dropping into your starting position or setting position. And now you have to make a right. take. Whereas the other keepers, okay, you start three or four yards out, you drop into your set position and make the take. So just with quick alterations, I think you can challenge them more. Now they have to cover more space. They have to move quicker and they have to adjust. 
Yeah, I mean, I've took when I was with the clubs, like I took, I would take my advanced boys aside, depending on who was in goal, and be like, uh, identify who you're shooting at. And I was like, I need you now. I need this more of a placed ball. I need this. You're not just gunning it. You're. I need this more under control. Challenge yourself. Train the keeper. You know, and everything. You know, don't blow little Johnny into the back of the net. Like, poor Johnny. <laughs> but like, yeah, poor, but, yeah, Johnny's poor little Johnny. Johnny. Johnny's. <laughs> so, so, um, usually I'm like poor little Mike, but it's okay. <laughs> so, so, but I, you know what I mean? And I agree with you. Like you can, you can tweak everything. And, and I think Saskia said it earlier when she was talking about her, her player striking crosses, you know, and, and the distribution. So, you know, one tweak you might make, and I started to do this more with the dash keepers. I should have done it earlier. Um, I, I did it with the academy guys, and I'm like, duh, this relates. But even if you have a more advanced player who's striking the ball, well, you can use the goal uh, as a frame of reference. So, for example, if we're looking to clip the ball into the nine, okay, now we have to hit that with texture so the nine can bring it down or play one touch. Okay, so now you've reduced the, the pace a little bit for the player in goal and giving them a chance to make the save, but you're still challenging that elite player. Now they have to put texture and different surfaces on the ball as if it's distribution and they're playing into the attack. Uh-huh. I, I, I love, I love what you just said right there. And I actually want to move on right now to this, uh, this, this one of the Houston dash clips right here. So let's see if I can share the screen properly and let, let's see, um, because I, I want people to kind of see the difference in the picture. Now, one thing that was really interesting, uh, Brenton, is that you said is that it's almost like a generational thing is in regards to the younger, the younger goalkeepers at the academy are much more comfortable training only game scenario because they've kind of grown up in that system. Well, as the, you know, the dash keepers, 20s, 30s, you know, age group, you know, they've, they've grown up in a, for lack of a better term, traditional isolation type training environment so that's where they feel comfortable so you kind of have to you kind of have to manifest an environment that's a hybrid of the two in order to get the most out of these keepers right yeah and how i typically structure it we do activation introduction integration and then execution so this would be more of the the activation kind of introducing okay we're going to do a little shot stopping in one v one so now it's predictable it's rehearsed they know what's coming but they can still get the correct movements in uh, before we progress so they can get comfortable and they can get confidence, which is huge. By the way, I love the fact that that love the fact on the through ball right there that, you, you know, going down with hands. That's a that's a lost start nowadays. as Suskia is and I talk about. Yeah. And now, like, now, wow. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me started. That could be a whole podcast. Oh, my gosh. I'm just I'm just I'm just watching it. So this is still so is this the next progression right here? Yeah, so we're still okay. kind of introduction, but it's a smaller space they're protecting now. They, they still know that it's going to be touched around the mannequin, so it would either be a free ball or a blocking scenario, but we're still working into it to where there's not a ton of tactical decisions. They can still get comfortable with the techniques. Some people would disagree with this setup because, okay, now we have too many goals in the middle of the field. They're going to be like, well, that's not game-related, but it's still the picture I want to pull out for the game. So where we're going, the keeper plays a pass through the goal steps through, um, then they have to make a one V one save for the two mini goals uh, okay. from the distribution of the keeper in the big goal. And then the keeper who's in the big goal has to move to get in to position to deal with my, myself or whoever taking a touch and striking immediately, or it's a one V one. So now we're still pulling what we want out of the session. Uh, we're integrating a few different things, but now they have to make a few more decisions. So it might be angled shot stopping. It might be a one V one, but we're also getting more reps and more work in with the keeper in the mini goal. Oh, I know yeah. what the UCLA keepers are doing tomorrow. 
<laughs> I'm, not, I'm not ashamed. I'll steal anything. <laughs> I like it. I took a hiatus for 16 years. I'll steal it all. <laughs> you know, and, that, and that's one at the end there where it'd be easy to move on really quickly. But yeah. if we're not getting what we want from it, we can stay. And then, you know, if the field players are doing 5v5, 7v7, working on playing in behind, that can kind of take over the execution piece for the day. No, I want to I want to talk about this right now, Brenton, because, you know, you brought up a really good point in regards to the, you know, both of the goalkeepers working the one on the mini goal, the one on the win on the big goal, you know, the different decisions in regards to where the service is coming from and all of that. And obviously all the services being done, this is in isolation without the team whatsoever. Um, even at the professional level there's just certain things that you just can't replicate in regards to the movement of an actual professional field player, right? In regards to how right. their hips move, how, you know, the, the, the pace that they have, how clean their touches are and everything like that. So is that something that you take into account even at the professional level? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to be able to replicate Rachel Daly, Marta, Lynn Williams, you know, the list goes on. Um, but we're trying to at least present the oh, picture. Come on. I can remember, I can do Marta. Trust me, I got it. <laughs> Bring it. <laughs> Bring it. I got her down. Yeah. My favorite was like, what was it? Who I was played it? Was against up? Marta. That's how long she'd been playing. And I played plenty of balls up out of the back of the net. So <laughs> I was honestly just thinking about that like a couple of weeks ago when we had Brittany Wilson on from the Pride. And she was like, and you know, it's like, and you know, we have Mar Marta there. And like Susky goes, it's like, Jeez, I played against Marta. Like I, this, Marta's going to play. I played against play Sinclair. Fulton. I played against Marta. I played, I'm like, maybe well, I shouldn't have retired. They're immortal. They're immortal. They're not going to stop. I'm like, apparently I, I should still be playing. Nah. Oh. <laughs> That's okay. Oh, oh my gosh. Anyway, go ahead, Brenton. Sorry. We, uh, we lost no, I, I, I was going to say, I'm not going to be able to replicate that. I, I know that our, our goalkeepers know that, but at least we're starting to present the picture now. So now they go into training, they're more comfortable. They've seen the picture. Now, now they can make those adjustments. Um, and it might be a case of we change the distance a little bit, as long as it still relates to what we want to get out of it. So now they're having to react a little bit quicker um, and make it a bit more game-like. Um, and I'll tell you what's interesting with, with our goalkeeper crew in Houston, we've talked about this. We talked about this during the, the COVID break and it's something I need to start doing more. Um, but we talk about periodization with the goalkeepers, with the field players, et cetera. But I think it's something we need to look into with our service as well. So what I mean by that is if you, you film a session and go back and, and take a look at the types of service you're using. So for example, if you did 30 volleys, um, and struck 10 balls from the ground and et cetera. You know, does that relate to your session topic? You know, so it, it's something I want to cue in more on. So, for example, let, let's say we're playing Angel City here in two years, and, and one of the trends, yeah, right? Well, let, let's say they're, they're stud forward, whoever it is at that time is left-footed and, and likes to hit from inside the gold zone, but likes to, to hit in-swingers. Okay, so within our session that week in the lead up to the game, how many times did I replicate that service um, or how do we get to replicate that service? Um, so that's a big thing I need to focus on going into next season. Um, but I think if we're talking about game scenarios, especially at the, the higher levels, it, it's something that we really need to talk about. So we, we talk about replicating, you know, the, the Rachel Daly's and the, the Martha's, et cetera. Well, how can you do that if you're not replicating the, the type of trends or, or service those field players are using? 
So it requires a little bit of research on the, on the goalkeeper coaches in, but it's something I definitely want to get better uh, going into the next season as we talk about game-based scenarios. Well, that's game-based. How, how else can you prepare your keepers for the game if we're, we're not following the trends that they're going to see? So, um, you know, and, and it's funny that you bring that up, Brenton, because, you know, one of the arguments that I've, a lot of, you know, people will give at the, at the youth level back in the day, and it's not an argument anymore, is that, yeah, well, that works at the pro level and the college level because they can scout and yada, yada. <laughs> well, nowadays with Huddle, everybody's film's out there. You know, that, that, that U11 that you're playing against this weekend, that number nine, his film is out there. You can go and find it. So, you know, that's not an excuse anymore, right? Oh, for sure. And I think even from just watching games, you, you start to notice trends at, at any level. So even at the U13 level, you know, where are most of your goals going to be scored from? Probably 12 to 18 yards, you know, off a, off a ball or a ball that's played from a cutback or, or a ball that's played in behind because the defender overran it or, or whatever. I think at any level you can start to recognize trends um, and then imitate those trends within, within your training environment so the keepers see it. Um, I think what's tough at the, the youth level, uh, do you train them based on the current trends you're seeing or do you train them based on what they're going to see in the future? And, and that's a really tough one that I wrestle with and I, I don't know the answer to yet, but um, I think it's a balance. I, I think you just brought up a really good point that actually Saski and I have, have discussed that in the past because a lot of times there is this, this, this desire, you know, Saski and I don't want to put words in your mouth to only train, you know, based on getting because they're because they're watching films of pros and they're watching and they're listening to pro coaches like yourselves and they go like okay well i'm only going to train based on for what their demands are for this weekend but at the foundational stage you're trying to develop a goalkeeper for the future and i think that's that's one of the problems that a lot of youth coaches head coaches need to understand when they're discussing what they want from their goalkeeper coach so no for sure and it's a tough one (laughs) we're all like gotcha I mean, no, I mean, I mean, is that I, like I was, rhetorical? No, no, I, I was expecting you to like a laugh. I thought Saskia, like I thought you had something you wanted to add on to that. On to that. Look, I'm not sure if the dogs are barking. I don't know what's going on right now. No, I was fixing my Facebook. So. Oh my god. Hi, Kim. No, no. Oh, that's that's hilarious. Um, all right. No, but let's, uh, go ahead, Saskia. That's okay. No. This no, is what Brenton signed down for. I know. Oh, I'm good. Um, okay. All right. Um, all right. Well, let's move on to this here before we, we check out another da- da- dash session. By the way, those dash sessions are just awesome. Oh, they're but awesome. Just, I mean, they're like awesome. Like I said, I know what some people are doing tomorrow. <laughs> um, I want to talk about the mistakes that a lot of goalkeeper coaches make when they're trying to create scenarios with only the goalkeepers that they have available to them. Um, and Brenton, if, if there's any, you know, through trial and error that you've seen that you go, you know what? this doesn't work or, you know what, this does work. You know, if, there, if there's like a little bit of a blueprint or a template that you can give some of these young coaches, you know, that'd be fantastic. So. Oh, I've seen it cause I've done it. I, you know, I, I still do it and you have to go back and say, Ooh, that wasn't good enough. I didn't like that. And, you know, I mentioned the voodoo doll with my keepers. Sometimes I can feel it, you know, after, after a session, because you know, there has to be tweaks and adjustments. Um, you know, I think we talked about one, I think the distances are huge. Um, you know, sometimes based on what you want, you know, if we're looking at 1v1 scenarios and you're looking at just your goalkeepers are, are going to goal, well, we may need to reduce the, the distance because they're not world sprinters all the time. And, you know, if they're spending more time during the, the session running than actually just serving or, or performing goalkeeping, 
you know, that's the problem. They're going to wear down and, and you're not going to get what you want effectively from the session. Um, you know, I've said it before. I, I typically or, or in the past. I, I wanted to move on way too quick. So there were four different phases I had down. And even if I was on phase two, you know, I wanted to go on to, to phase three, even if we hadn't executed what we needed from phase two. So I think there has to be patience in there. Um, I think from the service side, you have to relate the distribution still to the game. And Saskia talked about it. I talked about it earlier. You know, depending on the service, even if they're, they're crossing from the flanks, that might be a clip ball into your four or five who've gone wide. Mm -hmm. It might be to your outside backs that have come in early. Um, and it's something I still need to do a better job of. But can we relate the service to the game to force them to be more accurate? Um, so those are a few things off the top of my head, but, um, yeah, I'd say distances are huge in relation to the game, um, your distribution, what you want to get out of it. And then just making sure that your goalkeepers can perform, you know, if we keep playing the ball in behind and, and you have three goalkeepers and one has done 10, 40 yard sprints, you know, you're, you're going to ruin your session and the speed of play and everything that goes with it. I mean, I, it makes me think of my first ID camp that I, I had to do last spring. Like I said, I'm new to this. Um, and I had my session all set and I was all excited about it and stuff. And I'm like, all right, it's an ID camp. These kids, these kids know how to play. And part of it had services in it. And oh my God, it was just a nightmare. Like I was having a mini panic attack myself because I have all these coaches out here from like Stanford and everything like that looking at me like, who's the new kid on the block? Yeah, you won the World Cup. You can't run a five minute session. And I'm just like having a panic attack. I had to pull everybody in and tweak the entire session. I had to scrap it. I'd be like, obviously, like I thought too much of what these kids could do. But after that, I brought them in and I was, I was pretty pissed. I was just like, you guys are here playing in front of the, you know, the best college coaches on the east on the west coast oops sorry on the west coast and you can't strike a ball you can't strike a ball you got no pressure on you i'm just having standing out there and you can't strike a ball that's a problem for me that's a huge problem for me and they're all looking at me because now i'm the coach at ucla and i'm like i got a big problem with all of you right now but it's and so that has to be integrated into these sessions and i got ahead of myself assuming you know that that these kids could do this at a certain level. Shame on you, coaches, from wherever they came from. But um, but you have to be able to kind of dial it back, tweak your sessions. But those things are important. And like, I don't consider those like field player situations. I consider that, hey, it's just your distribution. So like, you know, I don't care if you're outside on the flank, just look at it like you're taking a, like a goal kick or you're trying to hit your nine on a long wall or something. You know what I mean? But if you can't strike it, then you, you have some other work to do. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think patience is critical. Um, I, I think we all want to step in at times way too early when, when the distribution goes wrong. And, and as hard as it is, sometimes you just need to, to let the session go into chaos and, and let them fight through it. And it might be hard for those 20 minutes, but yeah. they've got to learn to battle through that, that poor distribution at times. Uh, yeah. and, and you've got to let it go on so they can fight through it a little bit. Well, yeah. Brent, Brent, I want to bring something up, though, just to, you know, uh, an, an argument here that because I know there's all the, obviously a lot of parents listening and they go, hey, that's great. But I paid for goalkeeper training and my kids had seven balls go off target and they're not getting, quote unquote, <laughs> you work. have parents that say that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, you won a world cup, you know, they're intimidated by you, but me, they just my, like this my little parents thing. drop their kids off and leave. <laughs> <laughs> 
about you. They just get these little kids, you know, they, <laughs> they see this little guy and they go, listen, man, look, we, uh, we no, have a specific, I got you. I got you. no, but, 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 you know, Brent, I mean, you know, I, I think that you, you've brought up a, 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 a big issue in which cases as a goalkeeper coach, it's not just necessarily about what you want out of a session and what you know is best for your goalkeepers, but it's about a lot of times it's about explaining or, you know, getting everybody on the same page so they understand the why of why you're doing something so they're comfortable right. with the direction that you're taking the session because someone might walk by a doc might see a messy session and go that guy doesn't know what he's doing well omar says that and we'll give a shout out to him all the time he says he's always got he's got used to get caught up a lot and like you said that perfect session right and like you're just like you see it in your head on how you want this to go and you don't want there to be chaos. You want to go from one, two to three and everything. And you have to have patience. You're right. You have to step back and have patience and realize that the chaos is okay sometimes. Yeah. Uh, Brent, Brent, one thing I want, I want to ask you though, is that, you know, obviously, you know, you worked at the college level before you got to the pro level. Um, I think, you know, and, and, you know, we can speak about this stuff from in, in just a general uh, away. Um, one of the biggest issues is that a lot of times is you'll get shot stoppers coming into the division one level, you know, like you're, you, you, like you two are working at, but you don't get goalkeepers coming into that level. Um, because this hasn't been, this hasn't been worked on at the youth level and especially the service thing, you know, and I think it comes out again, it comes back to the thing is like quality of service. You get frustrated. Well, so-and-so is not getting the right service. So I have to step in and do the service so that they get it. But then they just start learning how to deal with your service with you, Brenton striking the ball, as opposed to Rachel Daly striking the ball, you know? No, for sure. And I, I think another key element, can we, we set them up for, for success in the service, at least at the beginning. So, you know, putting putting a player who's not left-footed on the left side for angled okay. shot stopping, that might not be the best idea at the start. And that requires a little bit of awareness. I mean, putting me there is an adventure at times. Um, but can you set things up to where it favors them in the distribution? And then once they get more comfortable, then we can start to layer in a few different aspects and put them in different places. Um, but I, I think that piece of awareness is critical, too. Um, and recognizing where to put them, or it might be, hey, you want them to work on their left foot this week, so I'm going to have them strike balls there, and we'll find a way to manipulate the exercise, but they need to get comfortable striking with their left foot from that area because it's going to tie into the distribution. I also think we have to stop raising up prima donna goalkeepers that sit there and be like, well, this ball is supposed to be served into the top of the six or slotted here, and it's, and it's not, so uh, I'll go for the next one. No, it happens in a game. Figure it out. You know, you're not, it's not, it's not perfect. <laughs> like if that, we just all buy jugs machines and have everything just be perfect, you know? So I think that your our goalkeepers in goal have to deal with bad scenarios as well. I, I want to bring up this, uh, this clip, speaking of perfect ser service though, perfect scenarios. I, I want to bring up this, uh, this, this next clip right here. So uh, Brent, why don't, you, why don't you break this down for us first? Yeah. Uh, again, we, we're talking about 1v1s. Um, and these first two kind of cover a lot of 1v1s because that was a big thing for us this year, protecting the gold zone. That's where a lot of the, the majority uh, of goals were. So it's something we really wanted to focus on. And I believe this was from preseason. So that was a big priority. Um, so, you know, the, the goalkeeper makes the initial save um, and then they can work left to right to, to handle the 1v1 situation. But we wanted them moving in under control. So it's still kind of that introductory phase. And then we go into this phase, um, the okay. second phase, um, and then it's a bit more unpredictable because now I can turn and, and go to goal. 
So it's like that nine who's received in turn, or I can play to the sides, or we have the striker touch around the mannequins. So now we've added a few unpredictable elements to where now they have to make a decision. Do I stay? Can I get there with my hands? Um, is it a blocking scenario? So now we've tied in more scenarios rather than can I get there under control and block? Now it might be a free ball, might be a point blank save, um, you know, or it might be can I get my hands there? So we've tied in a few different scenarios leading from that first exercise. I like yeah. it. Look yeah. at those calves. And then, by the way, I was going to say, look at those calves. Oh my God. I'm just really pale. So that's the only thing that stands out. (laughs) Like, they're huge. (laughs) So, this this is an interesting one. Yeah, this is an interesting one where we talk about context. Um, So, it's during preseason or or one of our three preseasons this year. I can't remember which one. Um, But the, the distance is probably actually too big here. Uh, but the reason for that, we wanted the goalkeepers to be able to get kicking in on the day or distribution and clip balls. So made it a little bit bigger to where, you know, the goalkeeper receives, they're under a little bit of pressure. Now they have to clip it in. And then the goalkeeper receiving can go to goal, they can strike, or they can play myself, um, who can then go to any goal. Um, now, where you have to be careful with an exercise like this, I'm free. I could easily stand in front of the goalkeeper and go to goal, but I'll be offside. So we're kind of getting away from that that game-based scenario a little bit. So that's where you have to be careful and and just recognize what you want to get from it. So usually once I received, I was going to one of the small goals. There were a few times I cheated and went to the bigger goals, but that's something you have to be aware of because, you know, if you're going to the big goal, you're standing offside. Um, So I think those are things as a coach. You have to be able to get what you want, but you also have to be aware of the context you're in and, and what you want. Um, because if you just walk by that, you'd say, ooh, distances are probably too big. Uh, but we also wanted to get distribution in on that day. So it made it a little bit bigger. Yeah. So you're kind of, you're, you're basically, um, for lack of a better term, like you're doing like a compound session where like you, you can incorporate a bunch of different demands that you want to get out of the session, you know, in, into one activity. No, for sure. But when you go through that, that first exercise is more technical based because the, the tactical decision's pretty much been made. I know I'm going to make a probably a point blank or blocking save, you know, in this area. All right. And then we go into decision making where there's three or four different tactical decisions they have to make. So it's more game based. And then we're finally into a big goal and a couple different scenarios to finish before they go in with the team. Yeah. By the way, one thing I absolutely love about first off, obviously, we're watching, you know, season pros, you know, are the highest of levels, but just to cut just the shape, the starting shape is so good on the on these goalkeepers, you know, just in just a, the hand position, the hand position, how disciplined they are with their micro movements. So just I want I want a lot of young goalkeeper coaches who go back and rewind that to go and watch so that your kids can see how simple they make the movements right there and how clean, how clean it is. Cause it's just so efficient. important and efficient, you know, and Saskia can attest to this cause she's played at the highest level, you know, how th- less is more, less is more, you know, oh, for sure. And they're, they're all three. They, they came in that way. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was fortunate for that we, we inherited three very good goalkeepers who are good at that and doesn't necessarily have anything to do with me. That's down. So yeah. Uh, Brendan, I have a question for you. How many, how many numbers do you need to create realistic scenarios? We just saw something where you just did what we're doing three different goalkeepers. I think one of the biggest fallacies that a lot of the young goalkeeper coaches have out there is that they need 17 guys in order to make something seem like a game realistic scenario. But in reality, you know, in reality, it's about what's the situation that the goalkeeper is going to be actually in and how many numbers are going to be in that 
situation after it develops, right? Yeah. And I mean, honestly, I think depending, it depends what you want to work on, what you want to get out of it. I mean, even with the server and a goalkeeper, we can make it game-based and, mm-hmm. and tie it in. You know, an example would be, it could be as simple as the server starts 20 yards out, the goalkeeper's on the edge of the six, you know, on, on a go call or on the touch of the server, the goalkeeper has to drop in and now get to their ball line. You know, that's realistic. And, and our crew talks about this all the time, that there's a lot of goalkeeper training from front to back, but in reality, most of your movements in the game, you're actually recovering to get into your ball line because you're supporting your back line. You have to drop in and then get into position. So, you know, that's one example. You start at the top of the six. If it's somebody who's really advanced, you could even start further. And now they have to drop into position, get on their ball line, and now deal with a shot. So that's a game, game-based scenario, and it's just a server and a goalkeeper. Um, I think you also – I think coaches out there also have to be like – something a lot of coaches fall into. It's not all – it doesn't all have to be fitness. Okay, so you can have three players. Nobody said that it's got to go, 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 which is why people think they need 17 players because they're doing shooting drills and everything's going and going and going. It doesn't have to be that way. Like not everything has to be fitness. It can be effective. You do one scenario, deal with it, and then recover and and start again. It doesn't, it doesn't have, and I think a lot of coaches fall into that where training the keeper means I need like like 10 people shooting and it's the next shot and the next shot and the next shot and the next shot. And it doesn't, that's not training a keeper. That's a shot stopper. And that's, that's, you know, work on the scenarios that are game-like, slow it down and get through it. Yeah, no, just, for sure. Yeah, and sometimes the intent's more important than the repetition. So Michael, you absolutely. talked about having a, having a yeah. walkthrough earlier. That's okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. as long as we get what we need from it, um, you know, based on the day and, and where you're at, youth level or, or professional, I mean, as long as you get the intent and, and what you need from that day, you don't necessarily need a million repetitions. But. Yeah. And, and Ben, and I, and I, I love what you're saying right there, Brenton, because one of the things that I've been doing lately with a lot of my, you know, young goalkeepers is explaining to them that look at this as an active lecture as opposed to goalkeeper training. Right. Because when we kind of eliminate that, you know, that that terminology or that point of view that we're training, you know, training makes you think of some dude, you know, squatting and bench pressing and running sprints (laughs) and doing box jumps and all that sort of stuff. You know, Um, when when as if you look at it as as an active lecture, you're looking like you're 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 being involved athletically, but at the same time being stimulated intellectually so that you're you're understanding why we're doing something and painting pictures and 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 learning from these scenarios that we're doing and you're actually activating yourself in these scenarios rather than just sitting there and listening right. to me talk about it you're actually engaging yourself in it and, I, and I've I've seen personally myself a lot of young goalkeepers start getting more out of their sessions that way when they start thinking that way yeah well you also have to look at it like I don't mean to interrupt but you also have to look at it in the sense of you get into those coaches situations where you have, you know, goalkeeper coaches out there that are lifting that are more worried about, am I sending my kid, my private home that wanted to throw up? And so the parents think that they got something out of it. And they're like, how you feeling? Little Johnny. Here's Johnny again. How you feeling? Little Johnny. I'm so tired. That was so hard. That was so hard, you know, because the coach just went, went and went and went and went because that's more important than the, than the context of what you're teaching them and the quality of what you're teaching them. I'd rather have little Johnny go home and be like, yeah, it was hard, you know, at times, but it really learned a lot. And I learned, you know, how to deal with this scenario and situation, like it's not all pressure training. 
but that that goes back to coaching education and what it's not even just the parents but it's also you know coaching your club uh teaching your club you know what what is what the demands are of your goalkeeper and what you should get out of it you know i had just because your your field player coaches i mean i know you go through this probably with the dash will set up like power and finesse (laughs) let's end practice with power and finesse power and finesse (laughs) you're just like seriously <laughs> be fair, we're, we're not too too bad, but, but sometimes <laughs> a man is a man is gonna kill me in a minute. I'm gonna get a text no. <laughs> at least but, once but, a week here. But but I've, I've I had DOCs have come up to me in the past, and they've come up to me, and they're like, "Hey, make sure the goalkeepers work today." Sure they, <laughs> yep, do you, Saski, you know what I'm talking about? Make sure like, they work the today. Like, what do they usually? What do they usually do? He needs to train hard. Yeah. She needs to train yeah. hard. I'm like, what do you think we're doing over here? They need they need to be working because the field players are working. So I need to make sure that they're working. Yeah. Yeah. Because the field players are working. So I need to make sure that they're working, you know, and what you're doing right there, that doesn't look like they're working, you know. Um, and, and, and I think you brought up a really good point, Brenton, in, in regards to the fact is like, so then you create these scenarios because you have these big numbers and now you're so focused on your expectations are completely unrealistic because they just went in the cage. Then they came out and became a field player. Well, that's not realistic to the game because they're not, they're not playing the nine and playing in goal at the same time. Right? No, for sure. And that's where I think you have to set the environment to relate both. And it's honestly something I need to do a better job of rather than just, you know, putting them out there and and saying, Hey, finish. And when they don't, Oh, giving the old frustrated reaction, but it is definitely something I can still perfect and and integrate more into our sessions for sure. I absolutely love having like with the the four at UCLA, I love not having to shoot the ball every day. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like like saving my leg. Finally. Like I don't, I I didn't think I've had my cleats on for like a week. Which you two are, which is but, but you two are lucky. You guys are at a high level. You guys are at a high level. You can ask for three field players to come over, yeah, uh, to do some finishing work, you know, or to work on, you know, a one v one breakaway type scenario, or you know, uh, you know, crossing, you know, those types of activities or whatever. You know, a lot yeah, of a lot of times club, I, I use my that. keepers. A lot of times I just use the four keepers. To be honest yeah. with you, or like every once in a while, somebody's like in rehab or something can can come over and stuff. But usually, I'm fine with the having four keepers and integrating it that way. Yeah. By Same. the way, somebody commented on that Saskia uh, months months ago, and they oh, went what? Off, they went off on you about this, Brent. I don't know if you saw this, but they basically said they're like. Suskia Weber com- commented that, you know, she uses injured play field players, you know, for service in her goalkeeper oh training. My- that is an insult. That is I an said- insult and a disrespect to the field players who are rehabbing themselves and trying it's to part of their regain rehab. Match, regain Whoever, match fitness. Whoever's listening is part of their rehab and they get sent over to work on striking the ball when they've been cleared to finally strike the ball, but they're not allowed to be in with the team yet. Don't, and I'm like pretty sure I have like a staff of about 20 doctors and physios and everything. It's not my decision. It's like, hey, Saskia, we can send you some some of you know the rehab players today if you can, if you're doing this kind of striking the ball. If you well, need then, extra players, I'll have to send you this comment. Then then they went I off on American it. soccer and they said, I oh well, it. and th- and this is what the issue is with you with you, with all of you in the states is that you don't under- and then and then just the person just started going it's like when I'm you know when I'm working with my seventh division team here in blah 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 or whatever. <laughs> and I was like, okay. I'm like I'm pretty sure that I I'm not the only person that makes that decision. Just so you guys know, it's not like hey send me the guys that just got out of their ACL surgery. I'm gonna work them. 
well, well, Brenton, I know you need to get out to the fields uh, in, in a couple minutes because uh, you guys have thunderstorms coming in. So you you got to guys have to start a little bit earlier. It's but um, battle yeah. of the turf. Oh my God, you guys are fighting for that turf spot, right? For sure. <laughs> um, it's a hot commodity. But, uh, I want, but I want to ask you. You were talking about the uh, you know using a weakness as a strength as opposed to looking at it as a weakness. And what I meant by that is when you were talking about you're like so and so can't strike with their left. Well, actually, that's great because that keeper can't guess now. That keeper is going to have to deal with God knows what type of service this player is going to going to serve you. Um, t- talk a little bit more about that and, and some other examples of, of ways that you can you can you know instead of getting frustrated that so and so can't do something, but actually use that to your advantage. No, for sure. I, I think it goes back to, to creating the scenario you want. So if you're working on, you know, cutbacks and somebody running onto it, well, now if somebody's running onto it with their left foot or striking with their left foot, now it's a bit more unpredictable um, if, if they struggle with that foot. So now it ties in a couple different reactions. And, and even kind of in the, the introduction phase, if you're covering a smaller space and they're just turning and you have somebody striking with their left foot and they're not completely accurate with that yet, well, now they have to make that decision and, and react because you don't necessarily know where it's going. Um, so now that person gets to work on their left foot, but now we're tying in some reactions because you literally have no idea where it's going to go. Um, and if you wanted to even get more creative with that, you could even pull out, you know, for the younger ages, maybe even the older ages, but like the, the quick goal volleyball. Okay. So now they get more comfortable striking a lighter ball, but you don't know where it's going. So now we've tied in reactions. Or if they're doing 1v1s, it's not quite as painful if they're going into their blocking shape. So now that person's working on striking with their left foot. The goalkeeper is getting experience working with 1v1s, but it's a lighter ball. So that, that just adds a different element to it. Um, you know, and in crosses, it, it might be if you want somebody to strike longer balls with their left foot, well, now I just need to alter the exercise a little bit. So I know they might shank, you know, a couple with their left foot. So now we tie in a second cross from a different angle. So that way, at least if that one gets shanked, now the goalkeeper has to change their position and work for a different cross. Um, you know, or you could even tie in a different scenario to where, okay, we're working on diving, collapse diving, shot stopping, and the goalkeeper gives up a rebound. Well, now if they give up a rebound, somebody's striking it with their left foot, um, you know, to, to imitate. Now we have to react to that rebound. So I, I think, you know, there, there's different ways to go about it, but it's just tying it into the scenario you want and, and have an awareness of your players and what they need to work on, especially in, in the areas of service. I, I, I absolutely love, love that. You know, um, I mean, you just, you just blew my head in regards to how I'm going to approach when I've got a kid that's struggling in, in, in one, in one facet, you know, whether that's, you know, like, you know, um, you know, air service, you know, left foot, you know, any sort of thing of that, how can I manipulate this player? I mean, dude, I feel like, I feel like everyone needs to hear that clip really, honestly, I think that's, that's so, so beneficial. Um, well, well, man, I, I know you got to get out to the field right now. So first off, thank, thanks for, thanks for being a fan. Honestly, that means it means a heck of a lot to all of us, you know, and, and honestly, it wasn't when we, too painful. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it. I, like I said, I enjoy you guys. You have personality and it's fun to hear you guys and talk with you guys. And I really appreciate what you're doing for goalkeeping and for the game. 
Well, I mean, I mean, you know, we'll have to have you back, you know, once when Omar's back so that you can uh, get the full, full experience with uh, Omar eating food and turning off his camera and, you know, being late, being five minutes late, you know, and, and, uh, or his, his, his Wi-Fi going out, his Wi-Fi going out, you know, all those, all those fun types of things. Um, if anybody else wants to reach out to you, uh, Brenton, obviously you're very accessible on social media. Um, which is, I, I think a lot of, you know, young goalkeeper coaches really appreciate when people at your level, you know, are, are willing to, to be open and, and discuss things with them. Where's the best place for people to connect with you? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm terrible about posting stuff, but I will respond to, to just about any message. So I mean, Twitter and Instagram, and then, uh, it's just be sailor at Houston soccer.com. I mean, I'm a pretty open book if you, you want to reach out to me. No. Uh, awesome. And remember guys, you can reach out to Suskiw. What? A new new- yes, send me all your injured players.com. <laughs> <laughs> I need them for training. <laughs> so if this, if, if, if this coach, this coach of the set in seventh div- seventh division in Luxembourg Bring is it. looking uh, looking to send some injured players, <laughs> I'll rehab them for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, guys! Remember, um, you can reach Saskia Weber at Saskia underscore Weber on all social media platforms. Contact at inside the eighteen. That's the number eighteen media.com If you have a guest suggestion or a topic suggestion, uh, Brenton, shout out to you for for these get these uh, topic suggestions. These were not, been absolutely. And thanks phenomenal. for the awesome clips. Yeah, I mean, just you know, it, it, it this, that's that's a great thing. Is like when we get when we get people coming on and they've got they've already got their sessions lined up, and then like, I mean, but you know, Saskia's like, well, I, I don't have a lot of work to do. I can just sit here and just watch. Oh, like, I don't nice. have I don't have anything to add to this. I I'll don't just, have to write I, my session for tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, at goalkeeper podcast on all social media platforms, guys, that's all the time on inside the 18 and we are out later. Bye.